What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a lot to get to on today's show. Later on, we'll have some guests joining us to discuss the NFL draft. Of course, that uh, uh, they had their first virtual draft last week. We had a big, big uh, draft pre- pre-show last week. I hope you guys enjoyed that. We're going to do a recap later on, talking about some of the picks, some of the big moves and the surprises that we saw and what we think uh, how we think that may change the landscape of the league moving forward. We'll also, uh, later on in this show, talk a little bit about what Major League Baseball is considering as a plan of moving forward. And we actually have uh, quite a bit of basketball news to talk about with the NBA. LeBron uh, spoke about how he thinks or if he thinks the league will return. There's some reports about how the league may try to actually pull that off. And then so there's some personnel news. The Knicks uh, made a personnel decision um during this pandemic, uh, I think it was a nice coronavirus news dump, if you ask me. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll we'll break that down later on. Joining me uh, is my co-host, Kendall. Kendall, what's up, man? I, I feel like I, we, we got to quickly mention the, the new ruling by the NCAA. Now, uh, college athletes will be able to profit off of their own likeness. So there are some... <clears throat> Some restrictions, like, you know, obviously, you know, teams, the schools can't pay guys and, and payments can't be used as recruitments uh, to schools. But now a, a guy can get sponsorships. A guy can. <laughs> well, what was that? What was the scoffing at that? I, I'm not going to let that go, go, go un, unchecked and unnoticed. What, what was that? Uh, like? Won't be involved in the recruitments. Huh? That's, that's the that's the that's the rule. Apparently, you cannot use payments as a, an recruitment rule. Recruitment tool. That that's that's the rule, according according to the the uh, the board of governors who approved this uh this recommendations that were led by uh, Gene Smith and Val Ackerman. Yeah. Um, so what's, the, what's the scoffing? You don't you don't believe you think that that will that people I mean, will people I mean, will be using uh the fact that I you can heard, get paid in you no know, New York City to go to St John's or you can get uh, what I heard the the early recommendations. I don't know if this was the same one, but. There was something that came out about a week ago that were that was similar. It was the same kind of thing of like, all right, this is same advisory type of group that was advising. This is what we should do. And I don't know if this was I don't know if it's the same exact, but the plan had seemed to be that they were going to allow boosters, like boosters would be allowed to give uh, endorsements to players, which to me, I mean, look, I I I would. I would advise that if I were the NCAA. You would allow it, you're saying? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would allow that, personally. But they just have to realize that that's going to be the wild, wild west, and that corruption. Now, personally, again, I don't really, I don't say I don't care about corruption, but like, I mean, I, it's in college basketball right now. Uh, at the end of the day, I think you kind of need. I don't say need the corruption, but like. I think that's the a lot of the incentive for a lot of the top athletes to even, especially in basketball, to even go. So, but I, but we just have to understand that like if you got boosters giving out, uh, you know, endorsement deals, how like how are you going to monitor? All right, like this guy, this this you know oil tycoon in in, in Texas, just gave some some hot shot five star out of Dallas. You know, a two million dollar, maybe not even two million, but that's a lot. But like a million dollar or a hundred thousand dollar endorsement to do a commercial or something like those things would have to be super regulated. I just don't know if they will be. 
to me, and, to me, you yeah, can't let you can't let that happen to me. I don't, I don't think you can't let that happen. I don't think you can. I'm gonna let you continue, but I don't think you can allow boosters to make endorsement deals. Now I know enforcing that could be tricky because it's like, is this guy gonna be tied to this booster? You know, <laughs> who didn't right, get the right. guy? Like you know, it's just like unfortunately, it's just like politics. It's like you know, you, the the money tree is not that hard to follow with some of these right. things. But I don't think you can have boosters. To me, in my opinion, directly give endorsement deals to athletes that go to their schools. I don't think that that's that should be allowed. Yeah, I mean I, that seemed to have, that seemed to be part of the recommendation, but um, otherwise, I mean, I think this makes a lot of sense. I think you know this is something that we talked about on the show. I've, I've I've advocated way back when we first started doing this podcast, and we we've obviously talked about this issue for a long time. And I've always been the guy that said, "Look, I I don't want to even get into the whole salary discussion because I think that that's so." so much more complex than we need it to be right now. And the Olympic model is the one that is the one that makes the most sense and is the easiest to implement. And the fact that they haven't done it right now, they haven't done it yet was just pure like greed and pure, uh, just wanting to stick with the traditional model of the, the, the stringent draconian model that they have so far. Um, and, at least allowing these guys, because again, we talk about what are the issues with salary. You know, some people, you know, advocate for a salary, and I mean, I get it. But then you have the, you know, the Title Nine issues. You have the, you know, equal for every sport. How do you, how do you divvy it up? Do you divvy it up by revenue generation? And then it's still kind of the haves and the have-nots. Um, and that may not even be fair uh, if you talk about. This, if you talk, I mean, this is still going to be somewhat of a have, have, not, have, and have not type of thing. But at least it'll be look, what you are worth is what someone is willing to pay you. And if someone is willing to pay you to endorse their product or, you know, host a camp or something along those lines, then you should be able to get it. There, there shouldn't be any reason, there shouldn't be anything from stopping you. I don't think that that takes away your amateur status all of a sudden. I mean, just like in the Olympics, a lot of these people are still, I mean, some of them are pros, but some of them are, are considered quote unquote amateurs, but they can have endorsement deals. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that this was the easiest way to go about it. Um, again, we may, you know, have to push to the salary thing at some point, but uh, this seems like a no brainer. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. it's a sad day when the G League has to do the Lord's work and getting the NCAA to do the right thing. But to me, that's what happened. Um, and, and to me, it just speaks to, I'm sorry, if you're, you're one of these guys or women, any people out there who have been just carrying the water for the NCAA for however many decades with this nonsense of student athlete and amateurism, this scam that, that is that ideal, um, you, look, you look crazy right now. To me, I think you got played. Because you heard about all this stuff about how, how impossible it would be, how there's no way it could be done, and the, the legwork it would take to even start the process would be unbearable. The G League get, got a couple of top-notch recruits, and then three days later, dudes was about to get checks in the NCAA. It wasn't that hard, fam. You were lied to. You were peddling lies from the NCAA. Maybe you didn't know they were lying. Maybe you took them at their face value. But you were peddling uh, nonsense for all these years, and it's unfortunate because I feel like beyond just the NCAA, their advocates in the media and wherever 
um, help them kind of move this nonsense forward with kids being exploited. And it's just it's crazy how once the NCAA's bag was starting to get really wasn't even threatened that much. That's what's crazy about it is that yes, obviously, excuse me, the um, the, like you no know, Jalen Green, those kids. That's maybe the the, ice, the tip of the iceberg potentially if they didn't do anything. But I mean, still, even just the fact that okay, you don't have Jalen Green in college basketball anymore. That that didn't lose them a lot of money. It's one kid. It didn't. Yeah, it didn't hurt Lamelo Ball. It didn't hurt right, they, they've had a bunch of guys. They had guys here and there, kind of, you know, not go to college and they survived. But as soon as the wave started to look like, okay, maybe this may be a little bit more of a concern. Look what happened. They immediately like, oh yeah, now we have a, a system, easy, simple. Just let the guys get their own money and then and we we all set. But boom, bam, it'll be done next year. That's that's. Outside of anything we've ever heard from the NCAA about how this could be done, all we heard from 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 them from decades was that this was an impossibility that would ruin the sanctity of college sports, and that there's no way they could get it done. It took them a week to figure this plan out and enact it next year. Yeah, it's I mean, like, that, and that's the, that's what's so crazy. It's about. nasty out there, Kendall. It's nasty. Any and every time the, the Olympic model was brought up, there wasn't any real pushback it was just kind of yeah but then you know are they amateurs and you know not everyone will get with get you know compensated and, what, what's gonna happen with the kid driving a ferrari on campus i'm like oh yeah have yeah, you oh, been yeah, to a college bas- a college campus with a major school you see that some of the cars these yeah. athletes are driving have you been to a high school come on fam in, exactly in certain areas like lauren james is driving a hummer at st vincent right. mary's what you, come right. on fam like you know like nonsense pedaling these people are pedaling Utter nonsense. So yeah, I, I, the NCAA will be fine. The athletes will will, will be in better shape. Um, hopefully, we get a video game. Uh, <laughs> that seems to be another hurdle that we we're, we're gonna have to get over. Though I think it will happen. I know there's a lot, and like to be fair, I'm not gonna you know hate on the reporters. I mean, the you know the the the. The wording is is very clear that that right now video game is not on the table. Because, yeah, video game jerseys. Right, that's not on the table. So you know, trading cards. NCAA can still sell your jersey, whatever. <laughs> you can't do anything about it. But um, but apparently they say because there isn't you no know, a, a union in college sports, there's no way to properly divvy up the money yeah. in those kind of group branded yeah, they, situations. Any, any type, yeah, any type of joint deal between schools and any type of joint marketing deal between schools and uh. And athletes, they feel like it's unworkable right now, which, which I, to absurd. me, I think, yeah, I think that I, I understand. Again, I, I told you in a text, I think that that's a lazy mindset. Um, I think if individuals wanted to get something done, I think individuals get something done. Um, but I think, you know, I just think that they look at that and they say it's too much. Like, it's too many, it's too many guys to account for. And... I don't know. I just know that I like people have gone to schools like, for example, a university has 50,000 people like all 50,000 of those students all signs, all sorts of waivers and agreements and stuff that, you know, sign off whatever type of right they that they need to sign off uh, when they get to campus and they can keep track of that. So why can't you keep track of like making sure guys get a certain stipend for a jersey 
sale or a, <laughs> for a video game sale. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think that it's possible. I think that they, I think they just like, we don't want to get to that right now. That that's, that's more complicated, which it probably is more complicated. I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that, but I just think that it's lazy. Uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought I thought it was ridiculous. Not necessarily because I didn't understand that there are steps that have to be made to make that possible. I just thought the statements that this is unworkable until next year. It's like, all right, well, by next year, I'm sure that they, if the the parties are motivated enough, they'll figure it out. Like it just seemed like there was just like over the top rhetoric. Um, I don't want to single out Val Ackerman, but I mean, she was the one I thought that was kind of over the top in her commentary. Because to me, again, you saying all this stuff about, oh, that can't be done. It's unworkable. Then you read the language and it says it should be, you know, addressed next year. It's like, all right, well, next year, you know how much time that is for? Yeah, I know. Look, obviously, we're in a pandemic. So who knows, you know, the capabilities of organizing anything right now. But hopefully there are better days down the future. And you know how easy it is to, if there's money involved, to get the, the, the right people motivated to organize that kind of thing. Like it, that's that's not that's not hard. Like I did, I felt like it was them kind of flexing, in a way, just to be like, oh, but we still ain't doing this because we're still the NCAA. Like I don't. That's that's the vibe I got. I can't say for sure that that's what Val and <laughs> Gene, and Gene meant. Um, but no, there are people who feel like that this was like a shot at Ed O'Bannon. Like that, like this was like the one thing that everyone told not for the one of the besides all the exploitation, clear uh, clear exploitation. One of the main things people have been hoping for with this being done would be that we get college sports video games back. And Ed O'Bannon, of course, launching that lawsuit, centered around college sports games and students not getting paid and how much of a pain that made for the NCAA and how where we are today. I think people, honestly, I think people are giving Ed O'Bannon way too much credit, in my opinion. I know some people are saying you guys are, you know, hit, killing O'Bannon right now, but he's the reason why we're here. The G League is why we're here. Um, did Ed O'Bannon move the move the needle more in this direction? Sure, and um, it's, oh, yeah. it's great for kids. It's great for the future kids that will get this bread when this bread comes from it. It's great that he did that for them. I'm not going to say for me as a selfish <laughs> in my selfish ways, am I happy he did it? No, because I've had no NCAA football and no college hoops for the last six seven years. But for these future kids, clearly, um, um, it's good that that he was able to get this for them. But I mean, some people say, "Oh, this is Ed O'Bannon." You know, you guys trash Ed O'Bannon. Now you should be praising him for this. I'm like, Ed O'Bannon did that thing six years ago, five years ago, and there's been no movement on this. The G League signed a couple of kids, and this joint was done in a week. I, I don't talk to me about Ed O'Bannon, okay? And yeah. and you you can feel Ed O'Bannon was altruistic in his motives, and maybe he was. But in terms of the the the, the credit, the 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 pie, I'm slicing up the pie, and what share does he get for credit? He's getting a, a very small piece because five years, it was yeah. nothing. And one week, the G League and signed some guys, and then all of a sudden, there was all this movement. Especially when you think about the fact that the whole G League thing, and we'll probably end up getting into it more on YouTube, but the fact that the whole G League thing was 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 kind of like the, the main argument for the G League, one of the main arguments for like guys wanting to just go to the G League is you get to – you get to start the clock on endorsements a year early. Right. So it just makes sense. Like, you know, I mean, the 500,000, I guess, is cool. Or the however much someone like Jalen Green got, Nation Knicks got 300,000. I mean, that's cool. I mean, he probably could have got something similar at UCLA. Not, I mean, not, <laughs> it's tongue in cheek, but it's also, I mean, it's probably, it's probably legit, especially when you, when you consider it's untaxed money. 
But um, but if we're talking about all right now, but then Jalen Green's also gonna get a million dollar deal from Nike. You know, could he have gotten more had he gone to had he played college? Probably, but that's 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 theoretical. We don't know. He also could have gotten less, but uh, he's gonna get some sort of sneaker deal. And now that clock gets started. So now this then cuts out that whole advantage that the G League had because that guy apparently that I think it's pretty obvious that this is based off of the G League stuff and the guys going to Europe and going to Australia, the RJ Hampton, Lamella Ball stuff because. Mm-hmm. They say that guys can sign apparel deals. They just can't be, at least the initial word is that they're going to be able to sign apparel, apparel deals. It just can't be with a conflicting brand to the school they go to, which to me, I'm like, I don't know why you care. I think that that's... Yeah, I don't get that either. I think that's irrelevant. I mean, yeah. Kids like, can't, the maybe, kids can't use your logo in anything they're doing. Why can't they just wear a different sneaker? Yeah, I'm like, like if you want to say they, they, they can't wear... You know, Adidas if they go if they're playing for Duke, like all right, fine. But like, why can't they rep Adidas off the court? I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, it's like the NBA. Like they don't force you to wear Nike because they're a Nike organization. But um, but I but it's clear that allowing these guys to to, to have apparel deals where if they sign with Nike and they go to Duke, like they can make all the money that they would have made overseas. It's clear that's a direct retaliation to NBA basketball players going, you know, going straight to perfect to the professional ranks. Yeah. This means war. This, this is the yeah. last thing on this kennel, man. This means war. The NCAA is officially at war with the NBA. It's fascinating. It's crazy. Cause we've never been here before. The everybody, including even David Stern, when they've talked about the relationship with the NBA, they've said the NCAA are partners. Um, that's how it's been described and for ever since I've been watching basketball and they are at war today. That's no, there's no denying that. And it's been fascinating to see the coverage. We normally don't talk about the coverage of other, of, <laughs> from other outlets, but it's just been fascinating to see the coverage from the NBA side of this, like from the media, the people that are, that don't cover college basketball, they cover the NBA, but are covering this story. And like, you can tell, like they're getting this stuff from agents or from league sources, people within the NBA, uh, you know, infrastructure. And like, like for example, Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN, great reporter, uh, was on. He was on ESPN. He was on Get Up, I think it was, talking about this. And he was like, he was talking about Dacia Nix. He was like, look, I mean, this is what the NCAA wanted <laughs> when you know they, when Condoleezza Rice and the and the Rice Commission came out and said, you know, we don't we don't we don't need co- uh, one and dones in college basketball. And like in my head, I'm like. I mean, well, you don't believe that. Like, this is not what the NCAA wanted. Guys who were signed to guys who were signed signed a letter of intent to leave in May or April to go <laughs> go play. Go yeah, play. yeah. Guys that have this unbelievable interest in where they're gonna go. Right. They drag out this process. Everybody like, waiting. Multiple I, fan bases like, are waiting, and then he goes to the G League. That's no yeah. no way. That's what the NCAA wants. That's not what the NCAA wants. And, and the Woj knows that. You're right. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think he. It was almost like sar- sarcastic. I feel like, but I feel like he's projecting what he's hearing from Adam Silver and Sharif Al Ibrahim, president of the G League, and the people in those circles that are just like, "Hey, look, this is what you asked for. You said you, know, you don't want to pay players. You said, you know, all right, get rid of one and done. We can't do that right now. So." Hey, well, I guess we'll just pay these guys. So, it's it's war. Yeah, it, it's, it's certainly war. It's, you know, it's the NCAA is taking a lot of shots 
in media and a lot rightfully so for you know because they're not the best ran organization but i do think that they have slightly more leverage than i think people realize because i still think at the end of the day they have the brand name that the g league just doesn't have so if we're talking about a war between the g league and the ncaa if all things eventually become equal the ncaa will always win the only way the nba wins out is if they completely get rid of the one and done which right now they're still stringing on like there's a, still, chance, there's a chance they may not get it in this next CBA, which is yeah, becoming yeah. surprising. We were hearing that it was a formality. Now yeah, it's like, like uh, we don't know which now. Which I was weird because we had heard it was a formality, but we hadn't really heard much traction in a long time. So it's kind of like people just, I'm just like, all right, this is such a formality. Why haven't we heard anything in a whole year? Like you would think that we'd hear more and more updates and we've heard nothing because there's still an impasse over uh, – medical information which to me thinks <laughs> to me that shows me that look the nba is clearly not that serious about the one and done if your thing is like yeah but we need medical information i think that that's a that's a ruse but that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> um and, and the last thing on this i think that the the key thing to watch kendall mentioned apparel companies is um remember obviously nike official sponsor of the nba but nike also the official sponsor of pretty much all the biggest college basketball programs. Yeah, Kentucky. So if this really does become a war between uh, the NBA, well, it is a war. Again, I, I think it is a war right now. The Nike is going to have to pick a side. Yeah. Especially with the NCAA. NCAA, again, it's kind of boxed them in because they're like, oh, you can't wear, you can't sign a deal with an, an, an opposing um, apparel company. So now you're really boxing them in where it's like, all right, Nike, what what are you gonna do? Are you gonna be signing kids to send them to the G League? Like that's that's yeah. that's gonna be a super fascinating thing. And where Nike stands, I'm wondering if there's gonna be kind of a power broker. We might where maybe they'll be okay. NCAA like we'll give you this G League guy, but you gotta let this kid go to Arizona. This kid go to Carolina. This kid go to Duke. Like it's, I, I, it's I think super, it's gonna be I think it's gonna be crazy. It, it's it's no coincidence. You know I follow the sneaker agent yeah. game very closely. It's no coincidence that in college basketball. Every player that we've seen go straight to the professional ranks since the one and done has been uh, in in place has been has not like has not signed with Nike. Brandon Jennings, Under Armour, Manuel Mude, Under Armour, um, R.J. Hampton signed with Lee Ning. Like those guys don't sign with Nike because like like the Under Armour and the Lee Nings like they don't put nearly as much in college basketball as Nike does. Exactly. Or even Adidas. So, like those those people, and Adidas is pulling out of the college basketball game for the most part because of the Louisville Kansas scandal. So Adidas, mm-hmm. I mean, they don't really get the top guys anymore. Uh, it's mostly still just Nike. So, like you said, it's gonna put a lot of pressure on Nike to say, all right, you know, like someone like Jalen Green, are you just gonna not sign him because he didn't go to Memphis, or, or are you just gonna are you gonna say we gotta bite the bullet? And we still got to negotiate with the guy to play ball. We're going to see more and more of that coming up. Someone like Imani Bates, that's going to be the biggest one because that kid is going to be worth $100 million probably when he gets when he's coming out of high school. Um, is Nike going to say, look, Imani Bates wants to go to the G League, which the G League is going to offer him a million dollars if that's what Jalen Green got, then you're going to still sign that guy. You're not going to say, well, because you didn't go to Michigan State or Michigan, then I guess you got to sign with Adidas. Like, That'd be foolish. Yeah, yeah, this is gonna 
definitely testing Nike's allegiances. Okay, let's talk the NBA. So the league's biggest star is winning on how, or rather on the fate of the NBA season. LeBron James took to Twitter to say the league is working to move forward with the rest of the 2019-2020 campaign. He said in a tweet, quote, saw some reports about execs and agents wanting to cancel the season. That's absolutely not true. Nobody I, I know saying anything like that. As soon as it's safe, we would like to finish our season. I'm ready. Our team is ready. Nobody should be canceling anything. Earlier this month, James had said that he did not feel he could get closure from a canceled season. Meanwhile, there are reports that the league is eyeing Disney World's uh, Disney's World Resort in Orlando as a potential venue for games. It's being viewed as a possible option due to its abundance of hotels, broadcast capabilities, and basketball facilities. So, Kendall... Uh, considering James's tweet and his latest report about Disney World, does this give you more optimism that we will see indeed see the season resume? Um, to answer your question, uh, that's a resounding yes. I think at this point, I think LeBron doesn't put out that tweet. First of all, on the LeBron tweet, I, I'm a, I like LeBron, but I, I I don't believe I don't necessarily believe that he that no one he's talking to wants the season to be canceled. I just I don't believe that. Here's what I'll say, Kendall. I think, <laughs> I, I think he chose his words carefully. He says nobody wants the season. He said, I've seen reports that executive agents want to cancel season. That's the, the word choice. I think, I don't Fair. think, it, yeah, it's 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 on purpose Fair. in my opinion. Still, I'm sure like, no one wants to cancel the season. Has he heard talks about people saying that they may have to cancel the season? 1,000%. That is not true. He's, he, he. But again, by saying using the words he said, he's not lying. I'm sure, because right. maybe someone with their writing or their reporting, they are getting loose saying, "Oh, there's some owners that want to cancel the season," and I'm sure there is maybe factual stuff saying that, "Hey, I, we I can't like that's not going to happen. Like like we don't want to do that, uh, but we may have no choice." That's a like again, it's like mincing words, but it does right, matter. Right, that's fair. Okay. Cause I, cause I'm just, I, I was going with the thing of like, I mean, there's no way that there's a 100% consensus. We gotta go full tilt, finish the season. No, Steve Kerr already said that I'm in off season mode, so <laughs> that's one right. thing we yeah. know is fine. The season is canceled, <laughs> and that's what the NBA is gonna have to work through. Is and I don't think, I think they, I don't think when the NBA comes back, and I'll say when because at this point I think it's a foregone conclusion. I don't think when the NBA comes back that, um. I don't know if every team is going to be involved because I think it'd be foolish, like for the Warriors, the Knicks, the Hawks. <laughs> there's no incentive for those teams to be playing basketball games at this point. I mean, you're a lottery team. At the end of the day, you're trying to lose anyway. Or like, our guys, are the team's best players, like just going to stay quarantined and say, nah, I ain't going out there. It's foolish. I mean, like, I, I don't get, I get maybe like, you know, because I like, I get, trying to finish out maybe a, a playing tournament for the playoffs. Like, and I think a playing tournament, a large part of that, you know, a, a, the NBA may not want to admit it, but I think they're certainly think about it, thinking about it is trying to find a way to get the Pelicans in <laughs> while still trying to play. I didn't think about that. While still trying to play a regular season. Cause I mean, that's a huge difference. I mean, we love, we all love John Moran and the Grizzlies and this, that, and the other thing, but it's a huge difference ratings wise if Zion is going up against LeBron in a playoff series, even if it's a three game series. I don't know how many games it is. Like a Zion versus versus LeBron playoff game, even is is must see television. Uh, versus John Moran, I mean that's still still big, but uh, I mean still do mega ratings, but it wouldn't be the same. But um, 
Yeah, we're going to see the NBA. I mean, it, it sounds as if uh, Bob Iger had a call with the NBA owners, and I guess that's where this this whole thing started. This whole idea about Disney World. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's coincidence that you know they're talking about Orlando when Florida is the state that considers WWE an essential business, and now UFC is trying to get into Florida, and boxing maybe trying to get into Florida, and. You know, obviously, Major League Baseball will probably eventually be in Florida. Like, Florida is a hot spot right now, uh, or a a sweet spot, I should say, for uh, you know these sport leagues. Um, so it makes sense uh, in terms of the product. I think the product. I, I'm gonna I, like when we talk about it when it when it happens. Like, I just hope people are uh, sensitive to the fact that these guys aren't gonna be in uh, the best in the best, uh, in terms of form, you know, or the, the best shape. They're not going to be in game shape. They're not going to be, they're going to be rough. There's going to be rust to shake off. And that's going to be a little, they probably will play some exhibitions just to get people acclimated. And then after the exhibitions, I say you start the, the playoffs. Um, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think you do? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I've told you that this season is tainted. I don't care what happens. I don't care what the result wow. is. Um, and I've said this from the beginning. I, I, I there's no way, uh, I could take the result of what happens this year at face value. There's always going to be an asterisk. But I say that, and, like, people think that that's, like, super negative. I, I don't take it as a negative. Like, I, like it just is what it is. Like, I still think there's it, it could be a lot of fun. I still think it could be great. I still think whoever wins an NBA championship under this, under this uh, you know, condition should be celebrated. Though I've, I've made my pitch. I think that they should, again, not give out the Larry O'Brien trophy. I think they should do something different. But that's, again— not going into that down that rabbit hole just today. But to me, yes, the, the result, if it this is how it's going to be, all these teams playing in empty arenas in Disney World, tainted season. Now, should they move forward with it? If it's if they feel like it's safe, and I think you, you absolutely have to rely on the medical experts with that, then yes, I said that before. I think that uh, if you can, I think you should. Um. But it's got to be feasible. A Disney World definitely sounds more, sounds way more feasible than anything else I've heard from them. Everything, everything else sounded kind of like La La Land, especially when you saw the Las Vegas mayor talking crazy last week. Um, yeah, and, and all that stuff sounded like a fantasy land. Disney, considering how big the park is, all the hotels, people, no one else being people, there. Yeah, no one. Yeah, the park is closed, so nobody can be there. Like. I see some things. I'm like, okay, this could actually be like, like its own little basketball community in a kind of crazy, weird way. You could actually probably even bring family in a sense. Like, like you could probably make this work. It's one of the few options I've heard where this could actually work. Um, it's going to be weird. It's not going to be nothing like the NBA normally is. I'm assuming they're going to be games on like all day. Like, it's going to be just like, yeah, uh, they, yeah, they're gonna have multiple games. Yeah, it's gonna be like watching the summer league. I guess you know we were we were in Vegas last year for the summer league. I assume that's gonna gonna be the case. It's gonna be you know games from twelve till ten p.m. But uh, if if that's what they they want to do, I think that that's probably this is probably the best option I've heard so far. I think in terms of LeBron's comments, I, again, I, I think that he uses words carefully, but I do think that there is true um, motivation to finish the season. I do think that, and he's. The again, like I said, the biggest star. So if anyone were to know, he would know. But I also, I, I'm not gonna lie. I do feel like he's kind of throwing his weight around a little bit because I, that's why I mentioned in my open that 
LeBron said that he could have no closure if the season was not continued. And I think he looks at, um, especially with the last dance happening now too, like I think he looks at like his legacy and how the Lakers were one of the favorites to win an NBA championship this season without question. And the idea, knowing that, you know, after what he went through last year with all the injuries and how the season fell apart, how like the assumption that, oh, but next year if we just get back and, you know, there's no coronavirus, like, you know, we'll be a great team next year. It's like, it's just not guaranteed. Um, nothing's really guaranteed in this world right now. So I think he feels like, like, I got to get this fourth one. Like, this is the moment, like, this is the year, this is the team. Like, if I don't get this one, my chances of catching MJ are maybe all but gone. You know, like, he, you know, like to get six, if he doesn't get one this year, it's going to be a really tall order. And I think he knows that. So I do feel he's kind of trying to put his thumb on the scale and say, nah, we're going to play. Right? Right? Right, Adam Silver? We're going to play. The yeah. games are going to happen. Uh, what, is, who, what owner is going to come out? What commissioner is going to come out and say, actually, no, we are considering canceling the season after LeBron, the most popular player in the NBA, the most famous player in the NBA, just said that it's not even on the table. He just he said canceling not on the table, which sounds, which is not true. That, come on, it's not true. We know that canceling is the on only the table. way. The only way if what he's saying is is accurate is if at this point they've already made the decision, which is possible. Um, it's possible they've already said, all right, we're going, we're, we're going ahead with it. And now, of course. LeBron can't see the future. We don't That's know how. That's the thing. Yeah, we don't know how this this thing can evolve. Like they haven't announced anything, so we don't know how this thing can evolve. He may know in inner circles that they've decided this is what's happening. But he can't. Can, he can't predict. You know, thirty one states are are reopening. Like you can't predict what the coronavirus is going to act like. <laughs> now that people aren't staying in their homes potentially. Like if, if we start getting, you know. Like, in New York, at one point, we were getting, like, 600 deaths a day. Something crazy. Like, we, right. you start seeing numbers like that in other places, you think that they're going to just keep these guys out there on the court? You think guys are going to want to keep playing? He can't predict yeah. that. So that's why I say yeah. when he's like, oh, nobody can cancel nothing. Like, you, oh, fam. It, it's a possibility it could be canceled. I'm not saying that they want to. I'm not saying that they should yet. And I guess in some way he's saying they shouldn't. But... I think I do. I do feel like part of this. I do think that he's right that nobody wants to cancel, uh, and that they are committed to trying to play the season. But I think part of it is Wayne putting his thumb on the scale. I think he does know that this season is super important for his legacy. It is. I told you, it, it's tainted. I mean, you know, but I think he'll take a tainted championship over at nothing, over yeah. the season never being played, never knowing what's going to happen with this great team like team they put together. And that would. I think that he, for him, I think he would prefer to play. I think the narrative. Honestly, I think the team that could win a championship in this field the least tainted, there's three teams. Um, I would say first, I won't say the least tainted, but if if they win it, you say this is the best team in the league, or this is yeah, one of the best teams in the league. People would be like, it. this makes sense. I think the Clippers would be first. I think the Bucks second. I think the Lakers third. I think if the Bucks win. I think there will be some people who are being like, "Man, Giannis hasn't proven it in a real playoffs." Yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. Because Kawhi won it last year, right? I think people would would be like, "This seems legit." Yeah, this Clipper teams had they had issues, but they <laughs> they figured it out. They probably would have figured it out in a seven game series anyway. Um, and if the Lakers win it, even though the Lakers as great as they were in the regular season, I think there would still be some people. Not even about. 
them not being the best team in the league, but just more so the delegitimizing of LeBron's ring compared to Jordan, which would then lead into the delegitimizing of the ring in general. So, like, that's where I think the Lakers, honestly, if they win. Now, there are some teams, I think if any other team besides those three wins it, I think for the most part, people are just going to, are going to not care. Like if, the, like, if the Rockets won, people would be like, this, is, this means nothing. If the if the Celtics won, I think people would be like, man, this, this means nothing. I mean, certainly the fans. Which is, what, which is why they should not give out the, what he's saying, they should not give out the Larry Bryant trophy. They should call it, you know, the you know the Kobe Bryant Memorial Tournament, something crazy. Like, like it should be something totally different. And um, because I don't think any, I mean, you mentioned those three teams. I do agree that there will be, there will be people voicing support for, well, this is a legitimate NBA champion. It, they will be lying, and it won't be true. Um, <laughs> it, it's not. Look, Kendall, think about last season. Think about how. I, how think, wait, Kendall, think about how how series change. The Bucks were up two zero against the Raptors last year in Eastern Conference Finals. They looked like they were. I thought the Raptors still had a chance. I think the Raptors would win the series. I, I think, or maybe I had it going long. I forgot what happened. But I remember people just saying the Raptors had no chance. I was like, I don't know about that. We'll see what happens when we get to Toronto. But there were people just giving the the Bucks. The, the Larry O'Brien trophy. People are like, oh, man, this seems unstoppable. This is the team that could beat the Warriors. And then they lost four games in a row. Like, the way playoffs go around, the, way, the, the adjustments that need to be made to win seven-game series, you can't tell me that if they're playing a three-game series or even a five-game series that you can equate that to other NBA championships. You cannot. It's, it's not the same level of excellence that's needed to win. It's, it's just it's simple. It's way easier to, to, to beat teams I, in two or three games than it is to beat them in seven games. That's why you I, do seven games. It's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a test of attrition. I tend to agree. But I do want to wait and see the facts. I, and I, I want to see the facts of what the, what the system is, and I want to see the product. Look, I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to cover I, it. I, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to cover it like it's, it's you know, like it is, you know, the end of the season tournament, which it will be. I'm not going to, and, and I'm not going to be, and also to me, like I say, when I say tainted, like I said before, I don't want to make it sound like it's offensive because I don't know who's going to win. So, like, I, it doesn't matter who wins. It's not like I'm against certain teams or I'm against, I don't know who's going to win the NBA, this whatever NBA tournament is going to be. Because to me, when you make it best out of three, that makes it very unpredictable. Just like the NCAA tournament is very unpredictable. But we're okay with the NCAA tournament being the way we, way we determine champion because that's the rules that were established going into the season every single year for the last 50 60 years the nba has been played a different way for the last 50 60 years now you're going to make it more of a crapshoot no i'm not going to take it as legitimately that you win the nba championship during this playoff with no home court advantage no home court fans uh you know shortens i mean come on this ain't this ain't the nba playoffs like it's it's clear (laughs) it's it's, it's not rocket science product if i watch it and it feels like the playoffs if it feels ain't gonna feel like the playoffs kendall no fan with no fans in the arena you know what it's like seeing those teams go on tough road games crowds all in one color yelling like crazy ain't gonna be that it's gonna be great basketball i still think (laughs) i think it's gonna be fun but like we know what nba finals nba playoff atmosphere is like it ain't gonna be Look, that. I just know on the number of games, like the WNBA plays, they got single elimination and three, you know, best out of three, you know, series. But that's in the, the playoffs. Way, but that's what the WNBA has established as their playoff system. That's what that's what the game. That's what it is. So that's how we judge champions there. So I'm fine with that. 
You can't have a status quo for decades. This season, the rules be set a certain way and then change rules and tell me that this championship is going to be the same. It's not. It's going to be delegitimized. It's going to be less legitimate. It's just, it's, 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 to me, it's common sense. It's, and it's not, again, it's not personal. It's not me saying, oh, LeBron, you win all, you know, yo, this is a tainted championship. Again, I don't know if he's going to win. And if he won, I would congratulate him. But th- no, it's not going to be the same as when he beat the Warriors being down 3-1. Are you kidding me? Of course not. In this situation, you would have lost. <laughs> like, that's my point. Like, to that's why seven-game series are agreed. And that's why we established that as the precipice for what a champion is and who wins the series, who the better teams are. So that, that's 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 how I feel about it. Anyway, let's let's move on quickly, Kendall. Um, we had some NBA news this week. The Knicks announced they are retaining general manager Scott Perry for at least one more season. The team and Perry agreed to a one-year extension, which means the most important piece of the front office besides president will remain intact for now for the Knicks. Uh, new president, Leon Rose, says he's looking forward to working closely with Perry to rebuild the team. Perry was initially hired by GM Scott, uh, Steve Mills in 2017. Uh, Mills was fired as team president in February. So, Kendall, do you believe Perry could remain a long-term piece in the Knicks front office, or do you think he's more of a stopgap until uh, Leon Rose eventually finds his guy? Uh, uh, well, maybe once you know things kind of settle down, it'll be kind of get closer to normal, God willing. Um, that's a tough one because I think. I, like I, I think see I, I'm I'm got to be careful with my words because I think we made this we had a similar conversation it may not even been on the show but we certainly had a similar conversation the last time the Knicks did something like this which was when Steve Mills got promoted yeah and after Phil Jackson left and the conversation was look I mean you didn't really have much to do with. The triangle, he didn't have much to do with the the mess that was going on. Mm. He really wasn't there long enough, even though he had been there in the organization. He hadn't been uh, involved <laughs> with the Phil Jackson mess and involved with. I mean that that situation wasn't even that long of a period of time, and he wasn't the he wasn't the president of basketball operations. So people gave Steve Mills all these passes, and two three years later, they looked at him like he was crazy. Yeah, and, I, I, and that was not, to be fair and, and to. Keep the record straight. I was not one of those people giving him those passes for that. Right. But, yes, a lot um, of people did give him a pass for, oh, he couldn't control the, the Phil Jackson monster. Right. It was, it was Phil Jackson. It wasn't yeah. Steve Mills. And then, you know, three years later, people were like, man, Steve Mills has been here the whole time. And, look, I think it's all valid. I, I don't think any of those points were necessarily incorrect. But I just think uh, the same thing could happen with, with Scott Perry. You know, Steve Mills was eventually a scapegoat. For the for the downfall, like Phil Jackson was a scapegoat, then Steve then Steve Mills was a scapegoat. Now it feels like next in line will be Scott Perry if things don't go well. You know what I mean? So that's the issue is that when you keep somebody from the old regime, it allows it, it keeps some of the uh, negativity of some of what was happening during that old regime, even if Scott Perry had nothing to do with it. Just like I don't think Steve Mills had much to do with it a lot of the chaotic nature of what happened under Phil Jackson, but he was around and just like Scott Perry was around for a lot of blunders. No, no disrespect to Scott Perry, you know, but the Kevin Knox pick was, was not a great pick. And, you know, it's either you blame that on Mills or you blame it on Perry. I feel like Perry was more in tune with that. Now at the same time, he certainly was in tune with drafting Mitchell Robinson, 
you know, that was his guy. He was he's close to Raven Brothers, uh, Mitch Robinson's agent, who also happens to be LaMelo Ball's agent at this point with Rock, Rock Nation, which I also think is not insignificant. I won't say it's not I won't say it's not a coincidence, but I don't think it's insignificant that Raymond Brothers is now LaMelo Ball's agent. Because a lot of people when LaMelo Ball signed with Rock Nation, you know, there was a lot of I don't know, you know, whether it's joke joking jokingly or not, it's like, well, he's not with CAA anymore, so the Knicks aren't gonna draft him. <laughs> and that I mean that's a fair assertion to make until you make the connection of our right, now Raymond Brothers with Rock Nation and Raymond Brothers is close with Scott Perry, linked him up with Mitchell Robinson. So it's Scott Perry is still with the Knicks. So even though it's not a Leon Rose connect, it's still a Scott Perry connect. So it makes you uh it makes you wonder if Lamella Ball is still equal play for the Knicks if they are in the top two or three. But at the end of the day, yeah, I think the Scott Perry thing is it's one of those things we have to wait and see. I think that's a really fair assessment about everything. Um it's so it's so hard to tell because when you know, I'm someone who does like to read body language and read, you know, how people act towards each other. I'm not someone who's just gonna, you know, just read, you know, theories on Twitter and on, you know, in reports and columns and no no disrespect to people on Twitter or people writing columns with the Knicks. Um but sometimes my eyes tell me things. And when my eyes saw Leon Rose interacting with Scott Perry, he just he, he looked comfortable with him. He looked like he didn't look like a guy who was about to axe. And that took me a little by surprise. I kind of would have assumed when Rose would have, when he, you know, would have taken the helm, you know, whatever, wherever we saw him in the garden, he'd kind of be by himself. Maybe Perry would be somewhere different. I didn't expect to see them, like, basically almost like arm in arm, like, you know, celebrating that game they had against the Rockets when they won. Of course, the night game of infamous Scott, you know, Spike Lee, you know, it's garden spin <laughs> game. Right. But like when I saw that, I was like, huh. That made me think that there was a really good chance Perry could come back in some kind of capacity. And I didn't rule out GM. So this didn't surprise me that much, especially once again, the whole pandemic happened. And, you know, the Knicks had obviously already started work on the draft. They started a lot of, you know, leg work on the offseason, I'm assuming as well. I'm sure for Rose who's coming in brand new and, you know, it's hard to really get a real team together. They did, they did recently hire uh, a Cavs executive to be um, one of the top, you know, executives in the Knicks front office. Uh, he was a capologist for the, for the, for the Cavs. Um, you know, there might not be a lot of, you know, it might not be a great time to have a lot of change, you know. Good luck hiring anybody. And, uh, you know, you hate being sensitive, but. It's not easy. It's not so easy to get guys to want to work in New York right now. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, shoot. I didn't even think about that. But that's that's not crazy. That's you know, not so a, you're trying to crazy. Them, it, 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 like, it's kind of a, 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 a an interesting situation yeah. to be in. Yeah. I mean, if you have no issue with Scott Perry, this is the ideal move to make right now. Just, they didn't give him some large contract extension that said you're the guy now. Yeah. They just look. We'll retain your option. We have no reason. To get rid of you, there's not much that we're going to be able to do really in the offseason anyway. Right now, uh, we got time to evaluate. And 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 my thing is, you know, a lot of people will like say, okay, but what have we seen from Perry to suggest that we're comfortable with him making the decisions? Because I, you know, the whole idea was the GM would be super important to kind of help Rose with the day to day and kind of evaluating, you know, 
personnel and things like that because Rose is so new to the game. So the GM is going to be very important. Just like we thought the GM would be very important for Phil Jackson. And if you remember, I did not like the Steve Mills hiring. So I was like, this is a man who hasn't been a general manager in the NBA. And we're hiring him to lead a guy who's never been a president. Uh, so so with that being said, you may say, okay, well, Perry, nobody likes how the team was put together this year. And Perry was very involved with that. Whenever someone gets fired and when something goes bad, then it becomes like a blame game of pointing fingers of how much blame did these guys get, how much of this mess Steve Mills' fault, how much of it was Perry's fault. And that kind of becomes, like, who knows? Yes, he, he drafted Mitchell Robinson, but he apparently liked Elver Payton. Um, but, you know, what's the name? Apparently wanted to trade R.J. Barrett, and Perry was the guy who said, no, we can't trade the top three pick for a star that's not going to help us, and which was the better move. Like, so it's like, I don't know. Both of these guys clearly didn't do a great job. I'm sure they had some wins, and had both Perry had quite a bit of losses. I guess that's the one thing if you're a Knicks fan, which I am, uh, that is a little concerning is Perry, now he doesn't have Mills' influence. What is uh, his influence on Ro- What's the influence with Rose? Because the way I think of it, you know, Rose being, in, I think I, to me it's very clear Rose is brought in to kind of be the wheeler and dealer, to get the big stars, to change the face, to kind of really kind of make macro changes in a way that really don't involve the GM in some ways. Like, you know, getting having the right connect to this agent that can get me this guy to want to come to New York. Like, that to me is why Leon Rose is president. And and to me, so that's fine. But, like, that has nothing to do with Perry. So my thing is then, like, the more the Alfred Payton type of moves, the Wayne Ellington type of moves, those are Perry's moves that he has to make. And I saw him just do that, and I was not very impressed. Nobody was very impressed. Right. So that's where I think you get people, I think, like that he didn't, he, okay, he's not a fan of giving guys really crazy long-term contracts. That's good from what we've seen so far. But does that change with Rose in the picture? Does Rose feel more comfortable giving long-term contracts? We're hearing that Rose may be way more interested in trying to trade for a star than uh, Perry was willing to be when he was uh, working with Mills. So I guess that's the question is the stuff that I'm, I'm expecting Mills to have to it's, do. I'm, I'm very, I, I still have very much a lot of questions about his proficiency at those levels, but it, it, it's, no it's a partnership between those two guys. So they got to just kind of work off each other's strengths and hope for the best. It's not a secret, also, that Scott Perry has a good relationship with World Wide West. And I think that that's the that's the icing thing on the cake here. Mm. The connection there with Leon Rose. I mean, I still think World Wide West could have served some value in the organization, but um, I told you, man, you need to get on the outside. Need to get on the outside. Need to get on the outside. <laughs> I think that the Knicks and Rose. I think that's the one thing I think they are smart with the idea that he could be a wheeler and dealer for the money outside. I think he could have way more value that way. Okay. uh... Last story before we get to the uh, the the uh, NFL draft quickly. Major League Baseball season remains suspended, but as confidence builds amongst league executives that they they will be able to return to play around July fourth, one of the scenarios involves a major upheaval of the league alignment. According to multiple reports, MLB is looking into a realignment that will allow them to potentially play 100 plus games, even with some of those games being played in teams' home stadiums. Uh, but the American League and National League will be abolished. Instead, there will be three divisions, East, West, and Central, that will combine teams from both leagues, meaning the Mets and Yankees will both play in the same division, the White Sox and the Cubs would play in the Central, and the Angels and the Dodgers would play each other a lot more, you know, that's that being the deal. Um, the idea is that the league would likely open the season 
um, in three spots, Florida, Arizona, Texas. Then maybe once uh, stay-at-home orders are eased, they can then eventually open up to playing in home arenas, or home stadiums rather. And with the teams being more regionally aligned, there won't be too much of stress of, has- of travel, you know. Shout out to uh, my uh, co-worker at New York One, Anchor Romatore. She mentioned, okay, but what about the Rays having to travel to Boston to play the Red Sox? I'm like, yes, that's probably not ideal. But considering each of these leagues has, each of these divisions has 10 teams, and you got to play them in equal amount of times, you're probably not doing, you're not playing the Red Sox as much. And you don't have to ever travel to Oakland or Los Angeles, you know, you know, or, you know, Minnesota. So, like, yeah, I think that's the trade-off that they're they're looking at. So, Kendall, uh, do you feel like this is a viable option for Major League Baseball? Would you like to see this happen this season if this is how they got to do it? Um, I personally am not a fan of the having teams play in their own stadiums. Uh, I think that that's. I mean, look, I mean, look, I, I'm not a health expert, so I can't I can't tell you whether or not that that's too risky. It just seems too risky. From my point of view, uh, I would just I would stick to the playing one location thing, and I know you get to the to the whole issue of like uh, again the whole bubble concept and having these guys not being able to move, and you know I, I get that 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 could be problematic. Um, again, I think baseball w- w- was was served was was fine with the idea of playing just games in Arizona and uh, Florida. But I understand. I understand these, this concept. Um, you know, I I I feel good about. You know, if as a Giants fan, I think the 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 MLB West is is not super is not super tough. I'm not. I'm shaking. <laughs> I mean, they bring the AL West. I mean, obviously the Astros are an interesting. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't mind seeing the Astros a couple times a year, <laughs> personally. Uh, but then also, you know, I, nobody in the AOS really scares me. So, uh, that, that certainly is interesting. The, the East, the East division is going to be, going to be interesting because you have a lot of, I mean, a lot of big market teams in that, in that region and just a lot, it feels like going to be a lot of bad blood. I mean, like the Yankees and Phillies, imagine those two teams playing against each other. I mean, it was a world series, but we did see it, but like, it's just like those types of matchups will be certainly interesting. Yeah, I gotta be honest, man. I'm with it. I'm with. I'm with this. I'm with this idea. I think that this is um, the home stadiums. I agree. I, baseball. I feel like if I'm weighing how each league is kind of weighing his options so far, I feel like baseball. I don't want to say being the most reckless, but it just feels like they're way more gung ho about trying to fix or figure something out in a way that's maybe a little. Scary. I mean, I heard a hundred games. I was like, nobody needs a hundred games. <laughs> I, yeah, a hundred games sounded crazy to me too. What like what? Like, see, that's what? the like, problem. That that was the problem, 80. right? And that, that's fine. That was a problem to me. I felt, I felt like, like fire. yeah, I feel like, like trying to finish the season. I feel like the NBA and NFL so far, in my opinion, Gary Bettman was just today was like, "Yo, man, we got to start next season probably in December." Like, like these other leagues seem to be a little more like, yeah, we're gonna have to be very creative to figure something out. College but, football is just like we ain't this ain't happening. Yeah, we gonna start in the spring, like no crate, like. I feel like baseball is more like, oh, we gonna be alright. It's like, yo, fam, there's a global pandemic. Are you sure about this? Like, yeah, I, and, and so I heard, oh, we think we can play in home arenas and we home state, we can play 100 plus games. I'm like, fam, we we're in a global pandemic. I get a great creativity with the divisions and in the certain hubs, 
using Texas as a third hub because the idea was like the idea was you know the fact that the Rangers have these new facilities and new stadium multiple stadiums that would help them out. I was like, oh, that was a brilliant idea. I'm glad they thought about that. But then you get to, oh, we could play in stadiums and we're going to play 100 games. I'm like, fam, we're in the global pandemic. you got to be more creative. You can't try to keep the sanctity of the baseball season. Like, I don't hate, I'm not criticizing the NBA for completely uphe- upheaving the potential sanctity of an NBA season, NBA playoffs. I'm just saying I don't think it's legitimate. But that's fine because there's an idea that it, it means a lot for these games to happen. And I and I do feel that way, and I agree. I've said that on the show. But you can't be trying to preserve things that are unnecessary. 100 baseball games at this point is unnecessary. We don't need that. They're talking about, oh, we're, the games, the, the World Series could be played in December. But then we got to figure out how to get the cold-weather teams into neutral sites. It's like, no, just shorten the season. <laughs> the, the season needs to end in October. That's what you should be working towards. The plan shouldn't be, oh, we're going to extend it and so they can play 100-plus games. No, it's got to be a, a different baseball season. Baseball season. And I don't know. That's the only thing I say about it. But otherwise, I think this is a lit idea. And now, I, I do feel like the only thing, again, I would say just like the NBA, of course, the season is tainted. I mean, the season is tainted. This is how it is because, uh, you know, are you going to have teams that used to be in National League have no DH when you go there, when they have a quote-unquote home game? Or is every team going to have a DH? That would seem to put a lot of National League teams at a disadvantage considering they don't build their teams to, to yeah. have DHs. Um, or is vice versa. If somehow every team, the pitchers had to hit, which is very unlikely. But if that was the case, the American League would be that great disadvantage. How I many great players could they not get on the field because of yeah, got, not having got, a DH? Can't play now. So, the, 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 so, I mean, this to me is even almost more changed than the NBA. The actual rules of individual games are going to be changed. So, I mean, come on. This yeah. ain't no real I mean, look, some people, like Some people feel like the DA should be in anyway for everybody. Right. And after I saw a shout-out to Andy Martino, who was on uh, New York One today. Uh, said that you know, he, for a lot of people they feel, <laughs> a lot of people they feel like uh, you know this is kind of the way it's going anyway. This could maybe be their way to get to eventually ha- getting rid of the DH, com- uh, getting rid of the pitcher hitting completely. But um, but yeah, I, I think that that's something they got to straighten out. But yeah, I think that some of these matchups could be great. I mean, the idea of the Yankees and Mets being in the same in the same division again, the um. You know the Chicago teams, like in and the Brewers and the Twins. I mean, we always yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of cool. <laughs> you know, you know, come on, man. Why you, why you always got to come with the crazy sarcasm when I'm mid sentence and I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. I'm trying to think my next thought and I got to think about it. No, like, yeah, oh man, uh, he got me. Like I mean, Marlins and Rays. It doesn't sound it, it doesn't sound fun, but you know, still two Florida teams. Like the geographical viability of this is certainly fascinating. It is, um, and I think that you know, if, if there is a position where where again, I think it's unlikely. You think it's unlikely, but if there is a position where like stadiums are open, I don't know if you can get fans in at any point. But if that does happen, like yeah, would it be cool to have you know subway series, really div- division games? Like that would be really cool. Even if that wasn't an empty stadium, like I, that's like wow, that's kind of crazy. Like you know, these games matter within our division. Like I think that that's a, I think that's that is a great creative idea. I would be for it. I think they said the playoffs would be expanded, so maybe I guess that means more teams. So I guess you probably have to do considering how this is going to be played out. Because I'm assuming the teams in the you know West Division can never play the teams in the East Division. Like you're just going to be all it's going to be like old school when nationally never played the American League. Like the teams you're going to be yeah, playing only the ten teams in your division. No and, inter- that, and that's kind of that's kind of ill. Again, that's just, no inter division. This is kind of different. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm with it. I, I heard I heard this news and I was like, all right, I, I like this idea. I'm just me and you. On the same page, 
I'm not sure about the. Yeah, I think they're stretching a little too far with the hundred games. They're stretching a little too far with the with playing our own stadium. What's the advantage of playing in stadiums? Like, there's not gonna be any fans. I don't get it. Like, I mean, guess guys can go home, but they don't need all the travel. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't get that either. I don't think it makes uh, makes much sense at all. But shout out for MLB to this idea. I hope it comes through. Well, we'll see how everything plays out. Well, well, not to cut you off, but mm-hmm. there has been some talk from you know some of the some of the the White House people uh, that you know could you do games where people are separated? You know, I I still think that that's that that's a I don't say a waste of time, but I. I I mean, yeah, I thought about I, yeah, and I thought about that too. Like, could you have what's a baseball game like with five hundred people? There? I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I've heard about that too. I'm like, okay, well, who gets tickets? Like, yeah, who wants to? Who do people really want to go? Oh yeah, people would go. I, yeah, I guess because there are certain there are certain factions. We've seen there are certain factions of people in this country who aren't who, Nearly who feel who shit. feel like you know we, we're we're doing too much that this is overkill. So those people would probably have a great time going to a baseball game with 500 people, and um, so yeah, there would be people. My question though would be, I think, I think that honestly, I think there would be too much demand. Like, I think that, like, how do you sell 500? T- like, how do you get? How do you sell 500 tickets when you got like thousands of people that would want to go? That's how I don't know how you would figure that out. But um, I I feel like that that could be done in my opinion, honestly. But I agree with you. Is it worth it? That I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know if it's worth it to have a baseball game with just a guy, one guy in his only section. Like I, I don't know what that does. Let's get to now discussing uh, the last uh, big bit of sports news this week that involved the NFL draft, which kicked off last week. The NFL had record viewership for the last week's virtual draft, and it's not surprising given all the social media chatter about everything that transpired from Henry Ruggs' bathrobe to see Lance quick reflexes against a female friend trying to peep his phone while he was distracted. But along with the theatrics, there were some big moves and some surprises that could shake up the league landscape for the future. And joining us, Kendall, to discuss all that is Shamari. Shamari Stewart joins us again after hey. uh, being on the draft show last week with Rob DeRay. Rob, unfortunately, couldn't make it this week, so uh, we'll make sure we try to talk to Rob as soon as we can. But Shamari is back with us to talk NFL draft. So first of all, Shamari, what's up, man? Uh, what's up, guys? I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be talking some more uh, NFL, some more football. Um, yeah, man, doing well. Took a took a a um, interesting weekend for the Packers. It, 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 it was an interesting weekend for the Packers. Um, Shamari's you know, team for the people. At home. We'll, I mean, we'll get to that later. Yeah, Trust we'll me. certainly get to that. We'll get to that later. But uh, but yeah, I'm just glad to be back and happy to be talking about the draft for you guys. Awesome, man. Yeah, let's get right to it. So I'm going to ask you, uh, I'll ask Kendall first here. Um, Kendall Shamari just mentioned the Packers. You just mentioned the Packers. There were a lot of other big storylines as well. What do you think was the biggest storyline out of week one for you? What was your biggest takeaway? Um, First, I mean, I want to give a shout out to just the NFL production of the draft. Facts. Uh, shout out to the NFL. Shout out to ESPN. Shout out to the NFL Network. ABC. ABC. Uh, Disney, shout out to Baba. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, yeah, but shout out, shout out to all the people that put that together. Uh, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, shout out to Mickey Mouse because that was not an easy production to do. Um, when you have so many limited, it was probably much less, obviously, people, I would hope, much less people involved than it normally is. Um, and when you're talking about 
you know, Trey Wingo having a host from the studio with, you know, eight different people. Like, of course, there were going to be, there were times where there was some awkward pauses and some, you know, he goes to the wrong person. I mean, it was hilarious when in the, I was watching, I watched like all seven rounds basically. And I don't know, it might have been like the fifth or sixth round. And <laughs> Trey, Trey Wingo, like you can, you can clearly tell like certain analysts would have a certain player. Like, you know, Booger McFarlane would always talk when the LSU guy was drafted. Yeah. Because he went to LSU, so he kind of knows about the guy. And, you know, Michael Irvin would always talk about the wide receiver. And, you know, Daniel Jeremiah would talk about, would talk, or Kuiper would talk about, you know, the third round guy from East Illinois who nobody knows about. Uh, so they, Wingo accidentally went to Lewis Riddick for like some dude drafted in like the sixth round who was like some no name guy from like, no school. And Lewis Riddick was like, yeah, I actually, I didn't have this guy, but, uh, you know, clearly, you know, you need a safety, you know, he's a good athlete. Uh, you know, you need guys to fill the roster. Like, oh, no. Very irresponsible. It was so hilarious. But still, again, not an easy thing to, not an easy thing to kind of navigate. And the, all these guys navigated it, uh, stellarly. And I give a lot of credit to, uh, the production, a lot of credit to Roger Goodell. You know, a little bit of the, the corniness with the, you know, with the production. Yeah, it, it, it was fun corny, though. Yeah, it was fun, though. You know, the yeah. dad jokes, like, he's become dad joke Goodell, and it, it worked. I think people liked it. You know, it was much better than the super corporate suit and tie Goodell that people yes. tend to not like. Yeah, this, so. this is a baby face turn. Yeah, face turn for Roger Goodell. So, um, <laughs> it was just funny that you labeled it like that. But, it, it was. I mean, you said it best. I mean, this guy, remember, he was a law and order commissioner. He was a guy that was telling guys you can never you gonna be gone for a year, taking Tom Brady to court. This guy was not a likable guy. In fact, I've been on this show and have hammered him for various different things because of his law and order, um, kind of way of of doing his job. But no one can deny he came across extremely likable, very fun. And uh, what I saw Adam Schefter say was that a lot of the owners watched that draft and they were like, "Man, this is the guy that we hired." This is the guy that we thought he'd be like this. Like the fact that we were getting so much praise and people are saying how much they love Roger. Like this is the guy we interviewed. Like we we have never really seen this guy like this because he came in the league. And I guess he felt like it was his mission or the owners gave him the mission to clean up the league. He became a bad guy. But um, but yeah, I, I don't know anybody who could say it. Roger came off. I think he came across great. Like like it, it was stunning to me. It was it, to me the only thing way I could describe it, it was like wrestling when you see a, a guy who's a heel who people generally don't like the fact they they hold they, they played up the fact that he gets booed at the draft all the time and then you see him become so likable it's like the, the only the way this could happen is professional wrestling with something and on top of the production we had what was also fascinating to see these all these front offices operate from their own homes and operate smoothly. You know, like it was such. Got to see some really nice homes. Yeah, it was, it, well, yeah, certainly. Like, I mean, Scottsdale, Arizona real estate certainly <laughs> piqued a lot of interest. Yeah, business <laughs> picked up in Scottsdale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, man. I mean, that like that just does not look like an NFL head coach's home. I, I, I and it's so crazy. Because, you know, people are blasting Belichick. Like Belichick, like why are you have this like I don't say dump, but why do you have this kind of shack kind of looking place? <laughs> and this guy Cliff Kingsbury coming from Bill Belichick's home. <laughs> A mansion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, but the, the, it was, it was interesting to see, it was interesting to see like all this stuff operate and the, the family environment behind it. It was, it was such a, it was a positive draft for the most part. Obviously I think some of the ESPN production was a little, 
uh, interesting the way they 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 kind of told some of the stories of the prospects. I thought it leaned a little dark sometimes, but uh, I think for the most part, the 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 front office point of view, I thought it was very it was very positive, and I think we saw a lot of GMs say in the aftermath or a lot of reporting that GMs were like realized I don't have to be in the in the office twenty four seven during draft season. You know, of course, now it's not like something where now you're just like oh, you just be old. Yeah, I just want to be home all the time, and like you know, the kids want me to watch Frozen, and I'm trying to watch you know film on exactly. like you know a quarterback that I'm trying to scout. But you don't have to. It, there's a balance. Now they they say that now, Kendall. But wait for the guy that misses on their first round pick. Who's gonna he blame it on? Oh, I didn't get enough time in the in in, in the office. <laughs> you know that's gonna happen. One of these guys are like, oh, I didn't get, I didn't get all the medical information. Oh, I didn't, I didn't get to sit down, and look him eye to eye, and I didn't realize he'd be a character concern. Yeah, that's like, the thing about the NFL. That, that is going to happen. It's a thing about trying to get the leg up, and it, like that's what led us to the to the lack of work life balance before. And will that restart once everything else gets restarted? Potentially, but you hope that in the initial. In the initial thing, it's like, all right, maybe the NFL will ease up on some of these things. Maybe certain teams will ease up on some things. But that's my biggest takeaway is just the the virtual draft in general. You know, the the way some of the things shook out, some of it was surprising, some of it wasn't. But uh, the virtual draft in general was uh, certainly astounding to watch and certainly some things that the league will pick up and keep going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, well, first of all, Sham, I would say, uh, if there's any any great advertisement or any great kind of uh, litmus test for how well uh, MTV Cribs type of show for sports would be, this was it. Because again, the all the commentary about these guys' houses and who's living where and what's in their office, what's in their living room. Like all, like that's like Zimmer with the the trophy. The, yeah, the I mean, all over. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I think the NFL, uh, if they cool. were smart, they they capitalize on that feel type of a certain type of way. <laughs> yeah, certain. But uh, but I, I mean, no, to me, if the NFL, you know, I that to me is a business model that they should maybe consider. But um, but yeah, no, I think that maybe I'm crazy, Sham. But one of the biggest stories to me, this was better than any other draft I ever watched. I don't. I don't need what we normally do with the draft, and I think this will kind of be a little bit of a dilemma. My, I, I really watched this, and I was like, "Why do we do this draft where there's a big stage?" I know why. There's money involved, but like, <laughs> I know I don't gotta see the guy shake Roger Goodell's hand ever. I don't gotta see him hold up a jersey. I'm gonna see the guy with the stupid football on the table answering the phone call. I don't need that shot. I don't need the Jet fans crying because they didn't like the first round pick. I can find that on social media now because they're tweeting like crazy no matter what, which they were this week in, just like I was as well as a Jeff fan. This seemed way more fun to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority in that, but Goodell, more comfortable setting, you know, no awkward. I'm getting booed and people are chanting stuff. I'm trying to talk over the people chanting. Um, he's getting the fans involved virtually. He's sitting in his, in his, in his man cave chair. No eating M and M's. Like I don't know. I, I just thought that this was nice. And then I thought the family moments in their home seemed way more. Uh, I mean, obviously they're always very emotional, but I don't know. I just think these seemed a little more authentic because they, you know, the guy wasn't being rushed up by some usher to get him on stage to shake commissioner's hand. Like the idea that he was just with his family and they had to celebrate. How are they going to celebrate? 
I, I thought this was this formatting was better than other formatting. I thought seeing the NFL coaches, you know, with their uh, with you know their families and seeing them react to each pick, and I thought even that was great. Like to me, it just seemed a lot more personal. Like you know, we think about these NFL coaches, Sham, as like drill sergeants, as kind of you know mean SOBs, like you know, like because you think that that's what you got to be to be an NFL head coach and an NFL GM. But then we see, you know, Joe Douglas calling, you know, uh, Denzel Mims, and he's got his two kids with him. And even, I mean, Adam Gase. Adam Gase kept Jamari the most unlikable type of coach in the NFL probably yeah, today. Even Adam Gase looked like He him. looked great. I'm like, hey, look at Coach Gase getting his guy. He's happy. His kids are running around. They're all wearing jet stuff. Look at uh, the GM for the uh, for the Tampa Bay Bucks. I know. Yeah, I, they, ice, yeah. they, they probably weren't wearing Bucks gear last week, but now that they got Gronk and Brady, now, now they're, not, they're not afraid to wear the Bucks gear, his kids. Like, I thought that that stuff was nice. I don't, I didn't need him in a war room with you know six seven other men sweating all on laptops, no emotion. That was whack. Why do we like that? This was way better. Do you? Am I crazy, Sham? Um, no. I, I mean, I don't think you're crazy. I mean, it, I think I think it was fun, and I thought it was cool. I do think it's the biggest storyline coming out of the draft is the fact that it was virtual, and that we got to see everybody's homes, we got to see everybody's families. Um, and it was much more of a, a, it was much more of a connective experience. And part of the reason, part of the thing that made it connective as well with the audience was that every oh, the audience is home. No one's at the bars. Yeah. No one's at the, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings, wherever people go to watch the draft. Yeah. You know, everyone is home. Everyone is home, you know, including the commissioner himself. Um, so it was very, very connective and interactive for everyone involved. Everybody's on Twitter. It felt like we we're all everybody. watching like Game of Thrones, Sham. That's what it felt like to me. Like we're all watching a TV yeah. show we usually like to watch, and everybody's reacting at the same time. Yeah, and nobody's has time to do anything else because no one's outside. No one's allowed to go outside. Yeah, the and there's nothing on TV. Obviously, you know, there's nothing on TV. So, <laughs> so everyone's watching the draft. So it was very, very. It's a very, very fun experience. Um, Personally, I still would rather see it just, you know, hopefully if it can be at a venue next year or just going forward. I wouldn't mind if they did this every once in a while. Um, But I just I don't know. I just I'm I guess I'm maybe I'm a purist or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. I just prefer for the guys to be able to have that ceremony kind of type thing where it's like they shake the commissioner's hand and they hold up the jersey and. And you get that, you know, you just get that experience. Right. You know. And, and, you get and the, I feel like it's important yeah. for our country, just like I was talking about before you got in the show, Sham, about getting these games played. I think it's important to have a draft that's normal. I, I agree with that. I just, I, I can't remember having more fun watching a draft than I did this past weekend. Hmm. And I don't know if it was because I've had no sports at all. I'm old. I can only stay at home. I can only watch this thing. But... I don't think that was all that was it. I think that there was a special dynamic to 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 the presentation, which again I think goes to Kendall's point about how um, uh, just about how you know great a job the NFL did. I mean, they went for they went they went for eighty one and pulling that off. As someone who works in television production, I didn't know how this was going to work, and the, the 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 amount of technical work, the amount of editorial work it took to put that together, it's exceptional. And we, you know, as you know, a lot of people were mentioning, and me as a black man, I'm certainly sensitive to. Yeah, I do think that they need to really reevaluate 
leaning in so hard on these uh, black trauma stories. You know, at times it did feel too much like a black trauma Olympics. Uh, and that's and I think that to me, like, you know, sometimes like it's OK when people trip up and they real like, you know, sometimes like having those things happen, then we create a dialogue and maybe they learn maybe espn and that where they realize okay i i we think can, we can grow in that i'm not here to say oh how dare you this is racist like it's not all about that sometimes sometimes but hey I, I, consider I how you're portraying these guys and how that may be detrimental yeah I, I think their their rationale from what i've heard was those types of segments tend to do better in terms of ratings like you know if you watch college game day you'll have like Tom Rinaldi or somebody give like some you know a sad kind of a sad piece on some a player's certain you know situation like people tend to not turn off of that and so I, I think their, yeah. their thought was like this will this will keep people attracted to the to the draft more than especially I guess they figured more casual people would be watching this would be this will keep people more attracted than What's this guy forty times? Or how many yards? I get, and I and I and I totally understand <laughs> I that, which is why again I, I feel like this is more of a like too much too much. Yeah, and I, that's why I say this is more of a point of discussion, not you know chastising per se. And I do understand that from that point. I would counter it by saying, yes, but it doesn't have to be so heavy-handed. It doesn't have to be the first thing you mentioned about any guy that has dealt with any kind of trauma. In a lot of ways, sometimes. The most interesting stories about these guys is what they are outside of their trauma. Like, I think that was that would be my critiques. Okay, that may be true, but you, you can't tell me the most interesting guy about every guy that has a tragedy is their tragedy. That that's that's ridiculous. Like, and, that's, that's, and no, and nobody, no editorial person would tell you that that's true. They will all say no. It bleeds, it leads is is not how news is supposed to be or anything's supposed to be. Right, and, and that's it, what they that's what ASPN is bleeding. Like, if you didn't have a tragedy, then you know what. What what sports did everyone in your family play? It was kind of like that was those were the two yeah, things. There's so many things you could like talk about that could make these guys interesting. I mean, again, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, they that... all, I mean, a lot of these guys are are um, you know if they're, they're like are any, did any of these guys you know graduate college or any of these guys graduates? Did they? Or did yeah, they I certainly special, ta- of, special talents, interests. Yeah, like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could talk about. Interests, right? You know, like why do we gotta focus on. You know, I know. Uh, shout out to T. Higgins. I know he said that he was totally fine with ESPN saying, you know, his mom had had you know the 16 years of battling drug addiction. He's proud, and that's great for him. And I, and that's great for his mom. Shout out to, to to Higgins family. But there's a certain level to how that kind of story and the kind of narrative you're creating about what unfortunately is majority black men and and what we go through. I'm not it's not to say that, you know, there isn't a lot of problems with uh grown up black in this society, but it's just it, it paints a very, very negative message and, and, and illustrates probably a, a poor um stereotype potentially. If you if that's all you keep showing over and over again. That's something they just I just think they, they need to consider. Um going going into the actual players and the and the moves that happened this 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 draft, in terms of Biggest surprise, I'll actually go first with this one. And to me, it, it would have also been my, my it would have been my second biggest story. To me, it was um the Eagles in that second round pick. And it's rare that a second round pick to me becomes the biggest story of the draft. And especially when I I, I, I actually tweeted after the 
um, Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love pick that this was this could potentially be NFL landscape changing. And then the Eagles the next day, like I thought, even did more, more, an even bigger move in that regard. Drafting Jalen Hurts when you got Carson Wentz and Kendall, you've been within that organization. So I feel like I'm the best person Certainly. to talk about this with. And I feel I have a good perspective on this. Also, be having, you know, worked in Philadelphia, worked at, not shout out to 94 WIP Sports Radio. Wentz is a Philadelphia superstar. And the way Philadelphia rallies around their superstar athletes is, as I said a million times on the show, very different than any other city. So Wentz being the Philadelphia star that he is, and you committing to the money that you've given him, and him being a number two pick in the draft, and the feeling last season that the Eagles let him down by not really putting a team around him that could compete once one or two guys got hurt, which is what we saw. And when you use a high pick, we'll talk about the first round pick a little later, but when you, you talk about uh, use a high pick on a player that, that, in a lot of people's eyes, they don't think it's going to help them. I know that there's the word that Peterson looks at Hurts as his Taysom Hill. I would argue, okay, I'm not drafting Taysom Hill in the second round, but whatever. He, that's how he views him. He, he feels like, you know, Hurts can end up being a weapon for uh, Wentz potentially and a weapon just for the team overall. Just the, the the narrative you're creating in that city that, I'll be honest, I love the city, but they're not mature enough to handle this scenario. Like sometimes you got to weigh like your city. Say, okay, can my city handle this kind of scenario where this star quarterback that people want to get behind, that people have rallied behind as our, as our franchise – if we give him a backup, but we have a plan for the backup to not really challenge him, but just be insurance and another weapon. Can my city handle that? No. Philly's the, the last place I'd try to do something like that. And for the Eagles to make that move, knowing that, because they know that. If I know that, then they know that. I don't think they think Wentz can stay healthy, man. I, don't, I think that they think Wentz has serious health issues. I don't say serious, but I think they feel like he's brittle. And... They won a championship with with uh with with Nick Foles coming in for Wentz after an injury. I think they feel like if there's a, like we're the team that knows the value of having a, a backup quarterback who can ball. So we feel like this second round pick is worth it because he's gonna he's going to have to play, and that's a whoa. I mean, they barely survived the whole Nick Foles thing with Wentz and how that went down. There were some people that thought they shouldn't have got rid of Foles. There's some people thought they should move forward with Foles. Now you're bringing in a hot shot young guy who's an exciting brand of football, the way he plays, that's a huge story. And I'm fascinated to see what happens in Philly moving forward. Because they did not do a lot to really beef up. I, I like the first-round pick, but again, we'll get to that later. But with the rest of their draft, it, the idea of we're going to just support Wentz completely, that didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, they got some they, they got some guys with some speed. You know, they, they like Quez Watkins from Southern Miss. They like John Hightower. They both dudes ran sub four four in the combine. Those so are yeah, the fifth, they, fifth and sixth round picks, Kendall. I yeah, I mean those are not your blue chip type Howie, prospects. Yeah, Howie Roseman is certainly your type of executive that I think he thinks that he can do more with less. I mean, he certainly did so last year a lot with you know they had a lot of injuries and they were playing with a lot of guys that we looked at as scrap guys, you know, practice squad guys or guys that. 
you know, our household names, and they, they <laughs> miraculously made the playoffs. weren't in the tougher division, obviously, but miraculously were able to make the playoffs. Um, I don't know. I think that the 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 Jalen Hurts pick initially was certainly surprising. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, but I I think I certainly agree with your point about Wentz's health. I think, and this isn't you know me saying that I you know I know exactly what they're thinking, but more so. What I would, you know, your, your insight. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm not this isn't any source material, <laughs> but just just my feeling based off being around uh, was I, I think that the 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 playoff the the playoff game against Seattle was certainly eye opening to see him get hurt again and some, something that wasn't related to like a knee injury, uh, it's a concussion. So then now that's when you have the conversation. Well, one, concussions can reoccur. But two, all right, now this guy's getting hurt in multiple different parts of, of his body. like in, in times when you really need him. Yeah, three straight years in the playoffs. <laughs> it, I mean, that at some point. Getting hurt when it counts. Yeah, exactly. You're getting hurt when it counts. And people forget, like, that playoff game, like, they could have won that game against Seattle with Josh McCown if Josh McCown, who was great for them, off the field it was great for them in the locker room, great for them in the quarterback room for for Wentz, but just wasn't capable as a as a quarterback at forty something years old, whatever he is. Like wasn't wasn't the talent that Nick Foles was, probably isn't the talent that Jalen Hurts is. So I think they felt like, man, if we had Jalen Hurts in that playoff game, we probably couldn't be in Seattle. Now I'm not saying they go on a run and they win a Super Bowl, but they have done it before. I I think a lot of it. You know, I talk about uh, the injuries. I think the injuries are relevant because this is obviously a, team, a franchise that's won, that's won a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. So if anybody would have the comfort level or know the value of having two good quarterbacks, like I saw someone tweet, <laughs> "You're only as you're only as good as your you're only as good as your worst quarterback <laughs> in the NFL. <laughs> you're only or you're only as good as your backup quarterback because your your backup gets gets hurt and now you're screwed uh, or your starter gets hurt rather." Um, now, I also think some of this, I think the, the Taysom Hill gadget stuff is relevant because now, you know, of course, Hurts can still play, still have value, which is why I think they were willing to take that risk in the second round rather than wait for someone like, you know, Fromm or Jacob Eason. Because that's the question. Why don't you just wait for one of those guys if you're worried about, you know, injuries? Those guys could also be confident backups. But I think they do feel like, all right, Hurts does give us value even if Wentz is healthy. But I think another part about Hurts that I think people aren't necessarily necessarily bringing up that I think is a connection to the Philadelphia Eagles more than uh, Jacob Eason, and probably I think even more than Jake Fromm. And I think Jalen Hurts is such a respected leader in football circles. You know, I mean, I saw Xavier McKinley or McKinney just put out a top five Alabama players of all time. Yeah, Jalen Hurts on the list. <laughs> and obviously he played with the guy. He also played with two, and he had two on the list too. But it's like Jalen Hurts. I mean, I mean, he's, I mean, I mean, he's a great, he's a great quarterback at Alabama. But he didn't even finish his career there. But it shows you the respect that he has for Jalen Hurts, and a lot of people do. And the Eagles locker room was not the most, and the Eagles organization was not always the most, uh, you know, close knit. You know, it's not like those. I'm not saying any, you know anybody hating each other. You know, they, you know fights or anything. Uh, but inside gossip. But but it's just more like you know that that there were sometimes where it was like, all right, you know, are are these guys all best friends? Right. You know, yeah. and it's like, 
get bringing a guy like Jalen Hurts who has that uh, reputation of being a leader and not somebody that's going to supplant Wentz, not somebody that's going to be an alpha over Wentz in the locker room. Right. Like this isn't, this isn't (laughs) one of those deals, but we're talking about a guy that can also be a support guy in the locker room for Wentz. If Wentz is the leader, he's, he's another leader. There's never, there's never too many good character guys in the locker room. And I think the late, the Eagles needed a guy who was a great character guy. I think that's what Jalen Hurts is. He's a great character guy. He gives them a backup who can play when Wentz is healthy, can play when Wentz is hurt. And so I, I get the pick. It's still The value still seems a little bit high because you're like, they don't need a quarterback and they won't need a quarterback. But I think EJ hits the nail on the head where they're like, how do you know we won't need a quarterback? You know, mm-hmm. at the at the, the rate of where things have gone, we don't really know at this point. So I, I get the pick. I know a lot of people think that the value was too high, I think. I mean, if you like Jalen Hurts, I think the value is right on. Yeah, I mean, for me, it really depends on what they want to do with Carson Wentz. Um, I mean, I don't know if they're like, oh, he's on his way out. Let's find a way to get rid of him. Or if similar to Packers, like 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 how I was going to bring up later on, how I was going to bring up later on the show, how people are already talking about, oh, where is he going? You know, where is his future lie? You know, if, if that's where the situation is in terms of the Eagles front office, then the Jalen Hurts pick makes a lot of sense. Or if you just want, like you guys are saying, if you want that security of, um, you know, if Wentz gets hurt again, or when Wentz gets hurt again, if they really feel that way, <laughs> um, we have a uh, not just a good, potentially a great um, second uh, QB. So, I mean, that's it's. Um, I mean, there's something to be said for having a very good or very, at least a very solid uh, backup QB or, or just someone, a, a solid, very solid backup QB that can, you know, and you can have that eventually, you know, when it hurts matures and all that and all that stuff, you can have that competition. You know, when you have two good quarterback prospects, you can see who becomes a starter, who becomes backup. So, I mean, I don't know. It's. It's definitely not an ideal pick, especially when Wentz was such a high quarterback, with such a high high uh, draft pick, and someone they really looked towards. But I mean, injuries. I mean, we could be saying the same thing about Tua a couple in a couple of years. So injuries can definitely change these situations. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. It's definitely yeah. it's definitely an anomaly, but um, but I don't know. Maybe they got a strategy in mind. Yeah, and I, I don't think that this is. I think this is certainly something where I think they expect Wentz and Hurts to be able to coexist. I, I you know, I like. I don't. Th- I think it would be foolish for, of them to to draft went to draft Hurts. If they if if they're like, yeah, we're drafting Hurts to to oust Wentz, because I'm just like. I just think the value of that would be like, wow, that's that just seems like again, like EJ said in Philadelphia, you know, like Wentz is gonna be a hard guy to ever get rid of. So, I I don't think that that like if they were gonna do that they would have had to have you know made a play for like Joe Burrow honestly or Tua I mean they wouldn't have been Tua but um but so I think that this is a plan to say all right like we need a good backup they you know and that, like depending on I don't think they were super high on Kyle Loletta you know you know as a practice squad guy and I think they that you know Josh Josh McCown's gonna retire so. 
Uh, and Josh McCown still super respected in the organization. You know, like did a did an excellent job working with Carson Wentz. But I think Carson Wentz now is at the age and he's entering his prime. Where now it's like, all right, he doesn't need the you know the mentor backup. You know, at this point, he's mm-hmm. he's good enough to where he can mentor a backup. And that's that's now he's getting his own Padawan, and that's that's Jalen Hurts. And you know, I think Jalen Hurts is a, certainly a good fit for the locker room. And also not a not a guy that I think is gonna push Wentz. He's gonna push Wentz like in practice, obviously, uh, with his workout habits. Which also uh, another part of it I think is is interesting because Hertz is such a hard worker that I think that'll push Wentz even more. And I think that, that there's some of that as well. Is like okay, maybe we'll get Wentz. You get that that competition going. Yeah, get get some of the juices flowing because again, there's some of it like all right, Josh McCown is a great mentor. But you kind of know where the you kind of know where the dynamics lie when Josh McCown is your backup. It's only in emergencies only will he ever see the field. When Dick Foles was there, I think there was a little bit more of a chip, and and obviously there was a chip to prove. All right, all right, now I can stay healthy and I can win without Nick Foles here. But now there's more of a you know what the guy looking over his shoulder. But all right, this is where we're at now. Now I have another guy to kind of help push me and. You know, we could push each other. I help show him some things, and you know, he can be a weapon in the offense for me. But I, I, I don't think that you know this is as bad of a pick as people are making it out to be. I'm not a huge fan of the first pick that they made, but I think the Jalen Hurst pick was a sneakily uh, smart move by uh, Howie Rosen. Shamari, uh, what do you have uh, as something that surprised you last weekend during the draft? Uh, well, you know, surprise to nobody. Uh, biggest surprise for me is the Jordan Love um, uh, pick by Green Bay Packer. Um, so yeah, I mean, as I mean, Kendall can attest to this. When when the, this pick happened, I, I it was just a very audible sigh, you know, um, you know, and I heard some of the commentators before they made the pick talk about, oh man, oh they show Jordan Love here. I'm like, teach Jordan Love. They better not get Jordan Love, and then they got Jordan Love. You know, so, look, you know, just detaching the fan aspect <laughs> for a moment. Um, I mean, it's just kind of history repeating itself. I mean, the Packers did the same thing with Aaron Rodgers um, when Brett Favre was kind of getting older. They're around the same age now. Aaron Rodgers has stated he wants to play at least until he's 40. Um, so, I mean, he ain't going nowhere. At least not, you know, next year or the year after necessarily. So, I mean, I guess their their Packers are preparing for that, but I did not see this coming at all. I 100%, especially considering how successful the Packers were last season. If we were, if we were, uh, you know, not competing, if we were in a situation where, you know, the the where. We were just kind of, kind of, kind of just, you know, maybe make the wild card, but you know, not do really much anything beyond that. I'd be like, okay, I, I guess I understand, you know. Even then, I'd be like, Aaron Rodgers is such, such a successful quarterback, but I guess then I'd be like, okay, at least I, I guess I understand if you wanna. But no, we were on the precipice of a Super Bowl, one game away, one game away from a Super Bowl uh, appearance, and now we're we're. Out, we're potentially ousting the reason we were even able to get that far. The person that has been really honestly as really a Packer, alienating. 
you're certainly alienating him. And honestly, in watching the season, to me, just the eye test felt like he was carrying us. That's what I was going to get to, Sham. I'm so glad you mentioned that because to me, when you mentioned they were one game away, what we also mentioned was when you watch that NFC Championship game, like, hmm, they're a couple players away. Like, they're a good team, but they're playing a great team and they're just getting beat up right now. They just don't have enough. They don't got enough dudes. You know what I'm saying? They don't got enough speed. They don't got enough strength. Like, maybe a couple of drafts, maybe even one draft, or maybe a couple of signings, and then they can compete with a team like San Francisco. And Mm -hmm. they were were a good team, nice story. Rodgers really, you know, made the big plays when it counted to win a lot of games. But, like, in terms of winning a Super Bowl, you knew you're like, oh, they just need a couple more pieces. So it was, I agree, like, when you even when you think of that standpoint, it wasn't like you were one game away, but you were a loaded team. We were like, all right. Like, we're going to be great next year anyway. Like, it don't matter who we draft in the first round. So, you might as well do something for the future. This was a team that, like, overachieved to win 13 games, overachieved to get to the energy championship game, and, okay, ran into a, a real true uh, bully on the block. And he's like, all right, this is a team that's a little too tough for them. They got to try to maybe, you know, retool. So, when you take a quarterback who's not going to help you, that was like, oh, my God. Well, what what is the goal for this Packers team? Because – it's not like there's anything else in the offseason that made you feel like, well, now they can compete with San Francisco. They didn't do anything. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, it's, I don't know. That surprised me. Uh, people are already writing art, entire articles about where is Rodgers going? Where are the top places for him to go? Uh, Favre has said he thinks Rodgers is going to end his career somewhere else. Um, everyone... I talk about the backers at this point, just planting the seeds for Aaron Rodgers to leave or just telling him to leave. People like Stephen A. Smith, you know, shout out to Stephen A. But you basically just telling Rodgers he needs to leave. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, see, I think I think the, the disconnect between the Packers organization and maybe what Packers fans and, and the media are saying about, and I think what Shamari says about, you know, Rodgers being carrying that team last year and then being one game away from the Super Bowl and, like, you know, EJ saying they're a couple pieces away. And while I think the couple pieces away thing is valid, I think their mindset was, like, we have Aaron Rodgers, so we can afford to punt this pick and we can still be great. You know, Foolish. as opposed to it's like in the NBA, yeah, that's, that's if you draft a guy, very problematic. If you're like a championship team and you draft a guy who's going to be in Europe for like three years. You're like, yeah, I mean, we don't need the guy or we already got we already got a championship team. Now, obviously, the NBA, like, you know, if you have four or five guys, it doesn't matter. The NFL, you need to fill holes yeah. on your team if you have holes. But like, I think that's their mindset was, you know. We have Aaron Rodgers, so our plan isn't to and, su- supply him with weapons. It's to and put a succession plan. And, and, and when it comes to that mindset, there's a few things that in which I – because I was thinking about that too. I was like, okay, so they must have some kind of plan here. So to first to go along with EJ's, what EJ said earlier, I mean, this is a team that was literally a piece or two away from a Super Bowl. You know, this isn't a team that is – and 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 in watching them play in that champion in that conference championship game, it was clear that we were the inferior team. As much as it hurts to say that, it was obvious right. it wasn't that like we were the inferior like team. It's not like it was like, oh man, we we could have got there. We could no, we we yeah. couldn't have gotten. It's <laughs> very obvious we could not have won that game. Uh, so 
why they're just throwing away our season, which is what it feels like, honestly. It feels like they're just throwing away our season. I mean, it certainly Because it feels like there's no way that they could beat those top-notch teams. It feels like... I don't, with I the like, guys they ran out last year. Like, there's no way. And, you know, like, the Vikings get Justin Jefferson, and, you know, they try and make moves to get players that can help them. You know, Jeff Gladney in the first round, even. And the Packers then punt the pick and get nobody, essentially. Right. And Love isn't going to be able to help them next year. If yeah, Rogers gets hurt, then they're screwed anyways. And and also addressing a second part of that is just addressing Love specifically. He's not the guy in my. I know you're not high on him. I'm not a fan. I'm of not him. a Love guy. I mean, I'm sure everyone here knows I'm not a Love guy. Um, but even the most optimistic of Love people will tell you next year he's not the guy. It's going to take some time for this, him to develop into the next Mahomes, which is what people keep saying. That's going to take time. He's not just going to jump in the league and dominate right. with the team that we have now, especially. There's no way that's going to happen. There's a 0% chance that's going to happen. It's going to take years of drafting more people, uh, probably making trades. I mean, this is just – I feel like he's just – you know, the uh, front office is just saying, all right, well, let's start from the ground up with Jordan Love, who's an experiment anyway. Yeah, it's like, look, I, I think some, some of it is – I think they're also just like – I don't say cocky, but like – once you get something, once you do something once and it works, you have more motivation. Just be like, right, why don't we do it again? You know, the Rodgers thing, nobody likes. It's crazy because it's a whole different front office and different coaching staff. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally it's different, different, totally different front office, coaching staff. But and I mean, the Packers have like a million owners technically because all the fans yeah. own own the team. But like, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Mark Murphy and the just, I'm sure they all checked off on it, and I'm sure they thought about the idea of like, why don't we get started on that succession plan. And I think they really like Jordan Love. I think that's... Oh, I think, for sure. Don't, you only do this if you really like the player. Because you don't just do this because... Because eh, you only draft a quarterback in the first round. If you don't need a quarterback, you draft a quarterback in the first round because you love that quarterback. This is why... Yeah, part so of you it, think he's going to be a star. Yeah. Like, I think the... I think the Packers love Jordan Love. And, and the Jalen Hurts, like, part of it was the Eagles probably needed a backup. Because Wentz was more injury prone, Packers don't need a backup for Rodgers. If Rodgers got hurt, they they have no chance of winning anything anyway. Their team isn't exactly their team team is so they don't need a quarterback. You know, it's kind of like how the the Colts went so many years with Peyton Manning, where I couldn't even tell you who the backup was. I don't even remember. Exactly, the guy was so bad. You know, and like you, when you have such a great quarterback, having a good backup is like irrelevant. Because once that quarterback, if that quarterback ever got hurt, you'd have no chance anyway. So. Um, this clearly is not about helping anybody right now. This is about, you know, three, four years from now. And I, I mean, look, they they love love. Then you got to trust the organization that they they have. They saw some stuff. They didn't work them out. There was no pro day, so they just, I guess they just love this combine stuff and they yeah. love the the film of the junior year, senior year stuff is not great, but yeah. I, I mean. Also, I think they, they they think that he can coach him up, and that him with Rodgers. I don't think Rodgers is going to coach him up at all. I think Rodgers is going to battle, him, which could help him anyway. But help help Rodgers, you know, when, when Favre didn't, didn't yeah, uh, give him a give him a nice, uh, you know, Rodgers is perfect for that for that role. And, That's what I think people underrate about the Rodgers Favre dynamic was that he was perfect to be the guy that was deaf armed. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It made him better. Love gets the, I, I mean, I don't know. He just seems to have the, like, the identity of, like, you know, 
oh, everything's cool. Like, you know, I'm just going to learn from Roger. Yeah, and we'll be yeah, yeah and that's been part of the, some of the like, people that have, have, have kind of been unsure about love who know him better. They've kind of, I don't want to say question his character because I wouldn't go that far, but I think they kind of wonder if he's really like kind of a true like alpha, ultra competitive type guy. He, he, does, he doesn't give you those vibes. Not yeah, to say that he isn't, like, but he doesn't give you those vibes. I, and like you question his, I mean, another thing for me is, I've told Kendall this as well, if we had dra- drafted even Jalen Hurts, I would have been like, all right, you know what? This kid, in my opinion, he's a winner. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a kid that wants to win. He's all about, you know, leading the locker room, leading your team to victory. I don't know anything about this guy loving, whether he, whether that's his mindset, is that's where his head is at. He seems right. very, he seems like a nice guy, don't get me wrong. And he seems like he has his head on straight. You know, he seems like, um, uh, you know, as poor, as poor as, as, you know, as, you know, up and down his last season was, he seems like he has the technical aspects, you know, in mind. But it's just... Uh, the intangible, you know, yeah. The intangibles. Yeah. Is he? Is he a winner? Is he gonna? Do guys rally it, around him? Yeah. If it's the fourth quarter, you know, and we're down by you know eight points, and is a minute, it is a minute left. Can he bring us down the field? Is he the guy that I want doing that? That's what I, I got to see. That. <laughs> yeah. If worst case scenario he's Josh Allen, then I think you'll live with it. It may not be the best pick, but I think you'll live with it. It, I guess. like because Josh Allen had similar. I mean, I don't similar like. Uh, I don't even think our team is good enough to be, to be like that. If if like if we switched out Rodgers for Love right now, and Love is well, Josh Allen. Yeah, no, I mean we're yeah, we're not winning. Yeah, it's a six win like, team. Yeah, you're yeah. you're yeah you're <laughs> yeah. That's a team that's not making the playoffs. That's drafting very high next year. We're probably looking at another quarterback. Exactly. But um, like in, in his prime, if he ends up, if he tops up with Josh Allen, like. I mean, which is possible. Then, if that's worst case scenario, then I think that they, they they'll say we'll take the risk. Kendall, uh, let's go over the teams uh, in terms of their evaluation. What team do you feel quickly? Because we're running a lot of time. Uh, what, which team do you feel like had some of the best weekends? If you could point out a couple of teams that you liked. Um. Well, to me, I think it, I. I mean, I look at the. I mean, first, I mean, the two teams that I that I mentioned. Uh, going into the draft, that they had the potential to have big weight weekend, were the Denver Broncos and the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, and both teams I thought made very very interesting moves. I mean, obviously the the Broncos just went full tilt on the offensive weapons for Drew Locke. So mm-hmm. yes, I mean getting KJ Hamler, getting Jerry Judy. Like I, I mean, they, that gets you two number one, not number one receivers, but that gives you two weapons. Day for, one weapons, guys that are coming in and playing. Yeah, guy, guys that are guys that are going to come in day one, provide instant offense for Drew Lock, along with Philip Lindsay, along with Cortland Sutton. Um, they also brought in his tight end from from Missouri, Big O, uh, who Drew Lock played with. So, um, who I think they're excited about. So I think they have they have some weapons now that uh, if you're if you're Denver I, I think their their mold is look, look we're not trying to beat Kansas City with some stout defense we're gonna try and you know air it out with Kansas City and I don't know if that's gonna work but in the long term it may 
You know, I mean, you have KJ Hamler, you got Jerry Judy, and you got Cortland Sutton. I mean, those are three stud receivers, I think, all at the NFL level. Um, and the Vegas Raiders getting Henry Ruggs, getting Lynn Bowden. Like, they tried, they, they also went with the idea of trying to get weapons. Um, I actually heard a there, was, there was a, there was a rumor out there that they, at 19, before they drafted Damon Arnett, which I'm not really sure about that pick, but. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I wasn't sure about a lot of their picks last year, and they all worked out. So I'll, I'll give I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But um, the initial plan was for them to draft C.D. Lamb had he fell, that they were going to get Ruggs and Lamb, which would have been fascinating. But um, which I think explains why I think they went with Ruggs, because drafting Ruggs at 13 seems strange, but I think they thought That's 12. But- Twelve, yeah, drafting, yeah, exactly, because uh, San Fran was thirteen. Uh, I think they thought that drafting Rugs at twelve was, uh, it probably was a reach, and I think a lot of people probably thought that. But I think they figured, all right, if we don't draft Rugs, like Lamb, like I think they knew that Denver wasn't going to draft uh, CD Lamb. So I think they figured, all right, Denver, if we draft Judy, Denver is drafting. Rugs. If we draft, whatchamacallit, if we draft Rugs, Denver is drafting Judy. So, regardless, we're not going to get one of the Alabama guys. So, the guy they needed was Rugs. Yeah, the guy they needed was Rugs and they wanted Lamb. And unfortunately, Dallas just picked them or just picked Lamb when he got there. But, and if I were them, honestly, I would have been more aggressive than just trying to trade up. If that's really what your plan was, because I think drafting Damon Arnett is such a, such a far drop from C.D. Lamb. And Henry Ruggs, like it's a totally different, it's a totally different concept. So I would have, and I get not drafting Justin Jefferson and just saying like, oh well, I guess we got to get Jefferson, right? Because I think that also would have been a cop out. But uh, like if C- if C D Lamb ends up being T O or ends up being DeAndre Hopkins, then yeah, then you messed up, not trading. But I think those are two teams, uh, and then I'm sure we'll talk about the Tampa Bay Bucks as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean for me, Sham, I thought the. To me, one of the winners was certainly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's crazy because, again, Jalen Kendall is a team that I kind of pinpointed as a team that I thought had to be aggressive. And, boy, did they get aggressive. Not only before the draft, you make a trade to acquire Rob Gronkowski, exactly what I was talking about, about being aggressive, doing something outside the box. Then, you know, ensuring that you get more help for Tom Brady up front because everybody who's watched Patriots knows that one of the major keys to success is that it's been very hard to get pressure on Tom Brady. And he seems to only lose if you do. And you go get a guy in Tristan Wirfs who fell to 13, who, you know, I think, you know, I, when I talked about him last week, he wasn't one of my high-end tackles. Uh, what was it, 14 or 15? Uh, well, they traded up. Yeah, they traded up from 14 to 13. Right, right, right. And, you know, but I, I mean, I, I think that putting him in that system, putting him uh, with a, a good offensive coach in um, – and uh, what's the name? I can't remember his name. Uh, Arians. Yeah, can't go hat about <laughs> uh, Bruce Arians. Uh, and having him with Tom Brady, I just feel like it's going to work out with all the weapons that they have. So I thought the and then I thought the Winfield pick. Man, talk about a guy who's a ball player. I mean, we talked about him on the show before. He's a guy that goes out there and just makes plays. I think that they're going to find a way to use him on that defense. I thought that the Bucks did exceptionally well. I'm, I guarantee you that Tom Brady is older than Antoine Winfield Senior, but. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, Tristan Wirth, 
a lot of people thought he fell. He, he, you know, he was the guy that really slipped. And some people were talking about him going as high as four. But I mean, look, we talked about it a lot on our show last week. I thought that worse going in the top five was way too high. Yeah, for a guy that had a great combine. Yeah, I feel like where he went was where he belonged. That's where he should have gone. That's where he would have gone without the combine for the most part. That's where he should have gone. Because I mean, again, having a forty-inch vertical leap as a left tackle is is almost completely irrelevant. So. I'm glad that Worth went in an excellent landing spot for him. And he could end up being a mm-hmm. terrific player. And a lot of it has to do with he's in the perfect spot. And I think a lot of these picks are going to end up being, just like in, in the NBA, being in the right fit as much as it is the right player. And yeah. last thing real quickly, yeah. the other team that I thought I really liked, uh, and I got to give, I, I, I challenged them. I challenged them on the show, Minnesota Vikings. They got some, they got some boys, man. Uh, Justin Jefferson, first round. Really great pick. I think he fits in as a great scheme fit uh, after what they lost with um, Stefan Diggs. Uh, the kid, Jeff, uh, the, the kid, uh, Cameron uh, Dantzler, Mississippi State, I think he's going to be a player. I know they got Gladly in the first round, and he's pretty good too from TCU. But Dantzler, he didn't have great measurables in terms of speed and stuff, and that's why he slipped. But if you put on the tape, man, that guy competed against everyone he went up against in the SEC. And Shamari knows, and Kendall knows, I mean, there were some dogs playing wide receiver. And one of my favorite guys in the draft, James Lynch, around four. I think that he's going to be a guy who can be, at some point, an impact player for them as an interior slash. The next, you know, Jared, uh, next Jared Allen? No, I'm not saying he's next Jared <laughs> Allen because he's a white defensive end. But I will say that he's a very versatile, physical, tough player, super high intangibles. I liked a lot of what they did, so I, I have to give them a quick shout-out. And Troy Dye, a really fast, aggressive linebacker. He's, you know, questions about character, but if he figures it out, he's going to be uh, a player as well. So I, I loved, loved, loved the Vikings draft. Um, Shamari, for the sake of time, running low, is there a team that you did not like that you saw that they did this, this, this? You know, you talked about the uh, the Packers, but was there any of the teams that you watched and you were like, I'm not feeling what this team did? Um, oh, okay. Uh, let me. See. Think about that. Yeah, do, I, do an audible. Yeah, do an audible. I do an audible. We're running out of time. We've been on this almost an hour. All right. Um, let's see. Any any particular picks? Any type of things I did not like? Uh, you mean outside of the Packers? Because of course you guys. I mean, yeah. I mean, let me let the let the Packers be your team because you know the rest of their draft. They drafted AJ Dillon, second mm-hmm. round. Um, a lot of tread on those tires. Uh, they got John Runyon's kid in the sixth round. <laughs> a lot of tread on those tires, man. Oh, man. What is he, 23, 22? So I, mean, I mean, that's not even my main issue. I mean, my issue, one of my issues with that is I don't think we need a running back right now. Right, right. I yeah. feel like it's another one where it's like, okay, I mean, I don't think we need this right now. Yeah. You know, we're drafting a lot of ca- a lot of people. We yeah, that's so weird that their two best positions were quarterback and running back. Quarterback and running back. And they drafted it's like, quarterback. We got quarterback. quarterback and then a running back. And it's like. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, honestly, the Packers are. <laughs> I don't think they had a good draft, man. Yeah, a lot of people did not like their draft, and yeah, one one pick that was very popular that I thought may have been slightly overrated, in my opinion. This is going to be controversial. I'm, I'm get ready for the controversy. No boy. Tua, no. I thought the other two pick was fine, but <laughs> I don't um, think that's that controversial at this point. Yeah, I know, right? I, I thought the Chiefs drafting Clyde Edwards Alaire, I thought was a reach. Oh no, I thought that was a great pick. I thought that was a reach. I think at 32. I think I think I'm, I think Clyde Edwards-Helaire is a late second, third round guy that I think could be really good. I think he got boosted in part because he played on a national championship team and 
you know, I think the narrative certainly helped him. But him getting drafted over DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor might look crazy in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, even going through all these teams, all these teams made a lot of great, you know, good picks. There's so many good players in this draft. I mean, the Packers kind of stand out to me. The right, team that right. kinda they they do stand out to me as well. <laughs> you know, they kind of wasted but, their like, initial picks. And I think the Lions also, I think, I had a really good draft. Getting Swift and getting Akuda. Yeah. Like, those two guys could also could end up being, like, the best players at their positions in, like, three years. I mean, I may be higher on Swift than others, but I think, like, the yeah, Chiefs... Right. Dra- I know you're higher on Swift. I think the Chiefs yeah. passing on Swift, to me, was crazy. I think... I understand the scheme fit of Edward Delaire, but I just think value-wise, maybe it's similar to the Hurts thing with the Eagles, but I just think value-wise, like, you just reached... When they were, I thought, clearly better players at the position available. Yeah, I I, I, I don't agree about Edward Delaire because I think he's... It's a scheme fit thing. I think that he's gonna fit well with what Andy Reid uh, wants to do. You know, that's that's. And, I get what you're saying, Kendall. I, I can't think... be so mad because they have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. So like again, similar to the Rodgers thing, where it's like, if any team can light a pick on fire on a guy that probably should have been a second or third round pick, it's the Chiefs. And he's gonna be good. He's not gonna stink. He probably would have been a good second or third round pick. But I just I don't know. I just think Swift would have been so deadly with that team. I mean, they have LeSean McCoy, or they had LeSean McCoy. Like, he, I think he's, I think he's a younger LeSean McCoy. LeSean McCoy. Um, if, I, if I had to mention quickly a team that I thought struggled on draft day, I agree. I think the Packers had one of the worst drafts. Sorry, Sham, but I also I, I wasn't crazy about the Houston Texans either. Um, I, I, they're a team that that's just they can't cover anybody, and they didn't get a corner to the fourth round. Um, Ross Blaylock, their second round pick. Good player. Um, Not DeAndre Hopkins, who they traded for. <laughs> right. Who they traded for. It was part of the issue. And I don't know. I just feel like I don't know if he's a real impact guy for that defense, for what they need. I, I didn't. He, he didn't really move the needle for me. Um, Jonathan Grenard, I felt a little better about him. But, again, this is a team that just lost a, ma- a huge playmaker wide receiver. They can't cover anybody. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't address that. Cornerback fourth round, John Reed, Penn State. I think that you know he'll help them. Um, he was decent. Down. Yeah, he he was a decent player, and and maybe you know Sorry, he ends up being a steal. But you know Isaiah Coulter from you know Rhode Island. I don't know what to make of him. You know in the fifth round as a wide receiver, I I, just, I don't know Texans. I don't know what they're doing because they're a team that to me they're like the Packers. We're like they're in the mix of trying to win a Super Bowl, and every move they've made since the season ended, I'm just like. Where is their urgency? These don't seem like urgency picks to me. These seem like okay, we'll see what happens with this guy. You know, you know, this, you know, Blacklock maybe maybe next year. But Blacklock by next year, he's you know he's a player. Maybe Greenwood Grinner surprises people as an edge rusher. But we'll see. I, I don't see a guy. I say oh, okay, this guy's gonna come out. Plug him in tomorrow. He's playing. That's what they need. Jacksonville and Carolina also had interesting drafts. Both defense heavy. Yeah, Carolina. I like, was all- I like yeah, Carolina. Carolina only drafted defense players, but. Um, Jacksonville, the only problem with Jacksonville is that I thought they got two good players in K. LeVon Chason and C.J. Henderson, but I just feel like they're just restarting a, a good young defense that they had like three years ago when they were in the AFC Championship game. They had all these great young players on defense. Now they're going to try it again. I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel like... But Jacksonville, they when, they when they've been a good team, has been because of defense. So... They know better than anyone that defense is the key to success for them. So. It's just like they feel like you guys are less knuckleheads than the other guys were, which may be true, but 
I mean, I mean, I just think that I mean, even when you go back to like the market, or even when you go back to the Marcus Stroud, John Donaldson days, like they, like John Henderson days, rather, like they're they're throwback. They're a defensive organization. You know what I'm saying? Like, like when they've been good, it's been defense. So I just. I think that they're kind of going to their roots. I mean, they've drafted yeah. some high-end offensive players, Blake Bortles, Leonard Fournette. And what has that really gotten them? Those teams, even with those guys, they, they won because of defense. So, and I, and I like their picks. I thought that, you know, Chase Young, I'm a little, I'm not as high on, but I think that he went more where he should go. So I'm a little more intrigued by that pick. <laughs> when we were talking about him in the teens, I thought that was way too high. So I, I was okay with their draft. Um, I thought Last week he did. Yeah. I want to ask what do you think? Also, well, first of all, I thought you were a little harsh on uh, Jimmy Smith and uh, David Garrard, but uh, <laughs> they were not the reason why those teams were going deep in the playoffs. <laughs> but um, you're the only th- you're the only guy on the show that hasn't talked about his. Uh, I mean, I haven't really said much about the Vikings, but I, I wasn't super high. But you're the only guy that hasn't said anything much about his own team. How do you feel about the Jets? Jets had a fascinating draft for me. Um, I mean, you guys saw my text. I was panicking. I was acting like the typical Jets fan. I didn't feel like we knew what we were doing. It was a very stressful. There were no time. receivers on the board. Yeah, you, you were you were clearly very. <laughs> I was in the draft with twenty receivers. The Jets were the only team where it was like, I don't know if we're gonna get a receiver. I really didn't know, man. But yo, I gotta give Joe Douglas credit because yeah, okay, you got, you got Becton, the last one available. Beckton the first <laughs> round. I would not have taken Beckton. I would have taken. One of the more, I thought, sure things at receiver. I think that there were two sure things with Judy and Lamb. They need We need to protect Sam, so I get it. Okay, you go back then, the guy, you can't teach 6'7", 370. So, okay, fine. We'll see how that works out. Second round, I'm thinking, okay, the Jets need to probably be aggressive because some of the top-end guys are going to go early. That's exactly what happened. They all were starting to go. Yeah, Higgins going to Cincinnati. Well, yeah, I'm like, here we go. It's, 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 it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. And and then you start to see all these other guys start to go too. And I'm like, you know, Hambler is a guy. I, I saw to... go to Pittsburgh. I was like, wow, this thing's going. Yeah, quick. I saw Hambler and Chase. I'm like, oh my god, we're, who's going to be left now? I'll go quick. But I think I think Douglas kind of surveyed the draft room and realized that for whatever reason, people were cool on Mims, so he was able to draft to go down. I thought he went down way too far. Using the using the uh, the GM chat. <laughs> I, I don't know how he did it because, he, but he 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 felt he felt that there was he clearly felt that people were low on Mims, and then he said, "Okay, I'm willing to trade down with the Patriots, let them get some guy who probably is going to kill us in five years, who nobody ever heard of, but I, I can get the extra value and still get the guy I think is the best." And someone pointed out, like, "Look, if they drafted Mims at like 42, whoever they were, would I I would have I." I probably wouldn't have complained that much. So yeah, probably felt exactly. After you got him at fifty nine and you traded down, it's like hey, that's a win. You know, I hope Mims can play. I, I was against the idea of drafting a receiver in the second round. I don't think they should have done that. But if that's where they're gonna go, I can live with that. Um, I really liked uh, Art Ashton Davis. I think that he can play. Zuninga, I'm, I'm a little unsure about. Uh, he he was he was a beast against Miami when we played Florida in the opening game of the season, but. He kind of dealt with injuries throughout the year. Um, but I think Bryce Hall in the fifth round could end up being a steal. You know, me and you both watched yeah, a lot of Bryce Hall playing in ACC. Yeah. I know his senior tape doesn't look nearly as good as his junior tape, and he dealt with some injuries. But he's, again, he talked about, like, Shamari talking about guys who are going to compete, guys who are going to have intangibles. Like, I feel like Bryce Hall, I want him in my locker room. I want him 
you know, in my defensive back room. I feel like he's going to soak up all the knowledge, and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being a bit of a player. And I think Michael P. Ryan is a running back. You know, he's not a star, but I think, you know, we need some more uh, speed to, to supplement, uh, you know, Le'Veon. So I thought the Jets did all, I thought they did fine. I thought it was a good draft. And like I say, it was... Okay, it was yeah, I, I mean, when they Van Jefferson left, I think he was a couple picks or maybe the pick right before the Jets. I thought mm-hmm. that's who they were going to go with. And I'm curious what would have happened if Jefferson would have been around because, of course, his dad is a coach on the Jets. I think that was the plan. I think Mims was the alternative. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was too. But, I mean, and, and look, I, I, I don't know if we talked about Mims much on last week. I I, I get the produ- I see the production. Uh, I get the raw measurables. I have questions about his – um, competitiveness against you know real tough man-to-man corners, and his ability to kind of do more than just a couple of routes. You know, he's I mean, not a very like Rob, diverse Rob receiver. Last week, you know, the DK Metcalf comparisons are out there. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's never good to draft the copycat guy because the copycat guy is never as good as the original. Right. <laughs> you know, the Darko um, because of dirt thing almost never worked. Yeah, Mims is uh. I'm starting to see, you know, after the draft, Mims has a lot of fire in him. You know, he's already seeing the comments, and he's saying people, a lot of people he's, under. I know, he's hearing what exactly what I'm saying. Like, these kind of things yeah. I'm saying are what other people and DK, are saying. Yeah. DK heard the same stuff. He did, yeah. He played with that fire yeah. in Seattle. Yeah. Now, DK went to a team with Russell Wilson, and he went to a veteran locker room. This guy is going to uh, a team where their best player, Jamal Adams, doesn't want to be there every other week. So, I, I mean, this is a little different. And Le'Veon Bell is, you know, obviously a, a, the second best player to lose cannon. Yeah, everybody hates the coach. It's a, it's a weird situation. <laughs> so that that makes you wonder, all right, is it going to be a locker room thing? Which is why we go back to fit matters a lot in the draft. But um, talent-wise, like, all these receivers are so interchangeable that if you're able to pick up extra assets, I don't feel any different about Mims than I do about Claypool than I do about Van Jefferson than I do about... Pittman. Uh, yeah, Pittman, Chanel. Like, they're all the same. Um... Last question. One one I need one word or one 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 uh two words essentially. Um this time next year, who are we talking about as a number one pick? Now obviously you gotta know who has a number one pick, but you mean who is going to be the number one pick? Yeah, who's gonna be the number one pick next year, Dre? A year from now. Are you are you putting money on Trevor Lawrence? I'm 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 gonna make it even tougher because Trevor Lawrence seems like the easy answer. Trevor Lawrence or, or the field? What's more likely? I see what you did there because I feel like you could say or fields. Um, uh, fields. <laughs> I think it would be Justin Fields. That's what So EJ knows where I'm leaning. Ishmael probably knows as well. Well, yeah, I know you're, I know you're a fields guy, so that is, that's not a surprise. Yeah. I, think, uh, I think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I, I think he's the yeah. best player. I think, yeah, honestly, I'd be surprised if it wasn't Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that would have taken him first in this, taken him first in this draft. The NFL narrative is certainly that, you know, Lawrence is the guy and stuff. There have I mean, been some articles written about, oh, maybe it's not as much of a done deal as people think. And I'm like, I mean, I hope not. I mean, Fields yeah, is really good. But you know. um, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, obviously we don't know what the season's going to look like next year. But assuming there's a full, there's a full season, I mean, I think Fields... I mean, could separate I feel, himself. I feel like dual with, threat stuff is gonna help. I feel like unless there's like a Tua, like you know, kind of injuries type situation, he breaks his hip, breaks his leg, snaps right, something, right. twists something. <laughs> right, right. Unless right. something like that happens, or like he doesn't make the playoffs, like Clemson doesn't make the playoffs. Right. Outside of something like that, 
I think he's a shoe in uh, you know, honestly. Um, yeah, at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be – he's a really – he's going to be a tough guy to pass about. I think, I mean, Lawrence, watching, watching the tape of, like uh, – I, I mean, I was, I was watching T. Higgins. I mean, you can certainly see, like, this guy Lawrence is crazy. And, you know, I watched a little bit of Fields as well. And, I mean, it's close. But you certainly do see why people are so high on Lawrence. I mean, he's so big. He's so tall. He's such a strong arm. He's so athletic. But I'll tell you what, though. I mean, we talk about the field. I don't want to just, you know, limit it to Justin Fields because we haven't had a receiver go number one in a long time, but Jamar Chase is going to get uh, – Jamar Chase is nasty. He's going to get a lot of a lot of talk as a, you know, probably maybe a transcendent type receiver. Um, yeah. And, look, if you look, at, if you look at a lot of the other uh, draft boards, and I've been talking about them on the show because – no, there were some Canes that went in this draft, though. This wasn't a great draft for Miami Towns. Don't say it, EJ. Yo, Greg Rousseau. Oh, okay. Remember that name. I thought, I thought you were going to say <laughs> Derek King. Oh, well, like... no, nah, relax. No, no. <laughs> like, what board has him in the first round? <laughs> no, no, relax. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah no. Uh, yeah, Canes <laughs> no, report, yeah, Canes report so... is not, not – yeah, I'm not doing the Canes report mock draft. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. No, seriously. Exactly. I'm not, not, shout out to State of the U. This is not the State of the U.com. Uh, draft draft conversation with me. No, Greg Gregory Rousseau, defensive end. We're talking about you know who's that next edge rusher that's going to generate a lot of attention. I just remember the name. Retro fre- fresh, freshman last year had like fifteen sacks. <laughs> Gregory Rousseau is and in, uh, in almost every board you look for twenty twenty one, he's in the top six or seven. No, and the uh, if he, the kid he, from he Oregon. Has a big year next year. Get the uh, uh, tackle. Yeah, the tackle from Oregon apparently is 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 a monster. Yeah, you know, I guess a lot of people that watched the Justin Herbert tape were like, "This kid is like a number one pick left tackle." Um, and apparently, there's some quarter. There's a quarterback from North Dakota State, Trey Lance, who threw like 28 touchdowns and no interceptions. So he was a redshirt freshman last year. So some people think he is a uh, a dark horse to maybe catch Fields and Lawrence. I say no shot, but I don't know. I just I don't think anybody's gonna draft if those guys are healthy. I don't think anyone's gonna draft an FCS quarterback over those guys, personally. But um, yeah, but I'm going with I'm going with Lawrence. I think that Lawrence will be the guy. But I'll um, take field also just because we don't know who's gonna have the number one pick. Yeah, we you don't. Know, if the Bengals give the number one pick, it's not gonna be Lawrence. Yeah, I'd imagine. But and and yeah, and but I just want to say though before we get out of here, man, Dave Gettleman, it's okay to trade down in your draft. Uh, he did it again. Pretty much third year in a row, he drafted a guy where he could have got the same guy if he traded down. I don't understand what his deal is because I, I liked his pick this year. I told you guys how much I liked Andrew Thomas. And I liked Saquon Barkley when he drafted Saquon Barkley. But you don't have to get the guy you like at the pick you're at. You can trade down potentially and get that same guy. And then, of course, we know what he did last year with Daniel Jones at six. I don't get it. If you, especially for a team that's so bad that could use extra picks. But that was just something that had to be said on the also, show. To see him do it three years in a row, I'm like, wow, this guy just one more thing I wanted to trade add, down at all. We didn't we didn't talk about Isaiah Simmons going to Arizona, but uh Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator, has already said, Yeah, he's gonna play linebacker. That's about it. So 
Yeah, but I saw some. I saw some other quotes that made it sound more like it's an open end. I know there's been some controversy. I mean, he hasn't. He hasn't like completely shut the nail. Like he'll. He, he said, "Well, when I get my hands on him, when we, you know, get him in camp, you know, we'll kind of have a better idea how we can maybe use him and stuff." But as of right now, we don't have really any plans to really use him anywhere else. I'm like, I don't know if that's just coach speak, but. You I mean, that, now. Wait, wait, till, yeah, wait. Some people were anything. worried. <laughs> some people were worried that he's not going to have the same versatility when once he gets to the NFL, just because defensive coordinators in the NFL aren't as maybe creative. Uh, you know, Jimmy, that's that seems I, like a nonsense narrative. I don't I, agree with that at all. NFL defensive coordinators are way more creative than f- college football defensive coordinators. I mean, Venables is Venables is a great is a great coach. I mean, okay, he he he's like the one percent in college football. I will yeah, he's the one percent. You know, he's a two million dollar, you know, one point five million dollar coordinator. But uh, and you know, Vance Joseph was a head coach. I mean, I think he knows. That's what I'm trying doing. to say. I, but like that just seems like I don't think that's it. I just I think I, I think it's coach speak meets like you know you got to earn it, kid. Like right. Once he sees it, once he goes to practice one day and he sees you know Isaiah Simmons covering like. You know, a running back on a wheel route and picks it off. He's gonna be like, "Oh, maybe this guy may have some value in the nickel." Like he's he's gonna see some things, or he's gonna send him on a blitz, and he's gonna go untouched by. And he's like, "Oh, maybe I should line him up on the edge a couple of times, see what happens." Like right. once he gets his hands on, I think he'll see that. I think right now he's kind of just coy slash. I'm a you know, be be you know, make sure his head doesn't get too big that he's gonna come in Diplomatic and just beat Lawrence yeah. Taylor. Um, but I think that's a good place to wrap the show, guys. So um, thank you, Shamari, for joining us. Hope you guys enjoyed this um, slightly longer edition of New Generation Sports Talk. Uh, of course, you can catch all of our shows on New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. I know uh, last couple weeks ago, Ken and I teased um, our recruiting podcast that's yet to be named would be debuting soon. Maybe that'll be the name. <laughs> yet to be named. I mean, we, it could be that until we figure something out. But... We had some technical hiccups a couple of weeks ago that didn't allow us to do that. Uh, we have figured all that out. So we are in a position to do that potentially this weekend. So keep your eyes out on that. That will not only obviously come out on New Generation uh, Podcast Network on SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn, but also on YouTube, which is where we have our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Um, we're really excited, you know, obviously because of the social distancing and me not living uh you know, not living in the same quarters with uh, Shamari and Kendall. Uh, recording videos has been a little more tricky, but we found some some great software to help us out. So we're going to start churning out some videos for you guys. I think will be really exciting. And among them, we'll finally be able to launch this uh, new generation podcast regarding recruiting, college basketball recruiting. So that should be really exciting. So be on the lookout for that. New Generation Podcast Network and New Generation Media on YouTube. Uh, follow us on social media, Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast, and Facebook, New Generation Media. Shamar can be found on Snapchat and uh, Instagram, MCShan22. I can be found on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, and on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys so much for listening in. For Shamari, for Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace.